How does someone really know they're a writer? Maybe they just like the idea of being a writer, the yes. identity of it? No, it's a good question, as always. Um, I found with actors as well, people who I've come in contact with, that some people like to play the role and others like to actually do the work. And so there's a, uh, you can see because when it starts getting difficult, those who want to play the role go, hmm, this is hard. And then it becomes like, well, do you really want to do this? And you know, writers, I always say writers write. You know, there's, writers are a special breed. You know what I mean? Um, I know if it's hard to explain, but you're the one up at two o'clock in the morning with the passion and you can't, to use a double negative, not write. You know, it's, it's something that you, that's in your blood, it's in your DNA to be a creative person like that. So uh, those people, you know, I say I used to work in a restaurant as a waiter and there were some people who wanted to be actors and writers as well. And, oh, I'm working on the thing and they never finish something. That's also another indication where you can't see it through where a person who writes, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of fear involved because it may be crap. You know, you may not, you may not be at a level where you want to be, but you have to get through that to get to the other side, to master anything, um, martial arts, what, whatever it is that you're studying. So a lot of the people wanted to be actors, you know, liked the, you know, I'm brooding, yeah, blah, 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 you know, I'm an actor, you know, wearing the leather jacket. Blah, blah. And you said, well, you're going on auditions? Well, no, are you taking classes? Well, no, I, you know, I have a good look. Okay, that'll get only so far, you know what I mean? So I think um, you can, some people may try, try writing, like say, oh, I think I'd like to write a screenplay, which is fantastic. It might not be the, um, you know, maybe novel writing is better suited or maybe both of them are not, you know, it takes a big commitment. So I think you find your way, but for me, since I was 11, I knew that this was kind of my calling, you know, making movies and, and things when we were, we were shooting films, short movies at 11 years old. I, I knew, you know, because I, I, nothing would, would stray me from that. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think you either find out that it's not what you really are passionate about or you, early on, you know it's your passion and nothing's gonna stop you from it. So I think that's what, what designates, you know, um, a writer for the long haul. And the test of when things are uncomfortable and looks like it's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I always say failure is, um, is a test to see how badly you want it. You know, and, and this life of a, of a writer uh, is filled with rejection, failure, and criticism. And it's not going to go away even when you start working. In fact, the stakes, I think, are even higher because then there's money involved and contracts and pressure like, I have to work. Um, under a deadline and that was the first thing that was difficult for me when I started working professionally is that you're supposed to be creative under a deadline and how can you do that and some when you're working on your specs it's open-ended right you well I won't work today or I'll go to the beach and when it becomes your job it's a job with any responsibility like a job has to do you clock in and you know your clock in time might be you know three in the afternoon so long as you get those pages done, you know, at a certain time, so. Um. How did you learn to write screenplays? Oof. <laughs> I don't know if I still know, <laughs> you know. How did I learn how to write screenplays? Um, well, early on as a kid, when I was making films with my friend, 
we just we wrote by on pen and paper and just made a couple of notes and really didn't know what we were kind of doing but we knew we had to have something on paper and I'm not sure if we actually read a screenplay per se or not because a lot of times scripts in that those days were hard to find you know you couldn't just say oh I'm going to look up on the internet blah 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 you know unless you were working in the business you're not going to find a screenplay unless you have someone in the business so we started with pen and paper and then eventually realized you know moving into high school let's say because I was when we were 11 years old and in middle school realized that we had to have some sort of you can't just shoot the movie and make it up as you go and so we started writing screenplays and um, after we sort of veered off on our separate paths my friend making his own you know we had our own camps of actors and you know a stable of people I remember in high school actually physically writing typing you know my script it was like 60 pages now it was a short but it wasn't a feature either so it was kind of this weird nebulous place but it was you know exterior blah 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 and um, of course then before college is when the real studying began you know with books and then learning how to like write a conventional screenplay as you would as you would think um, but yeah basically it was it was winging it at the beginning and then moving into sort of like well I should probably study you know if I'm going to want to work someday and then college was definitely you know film school was definitely the, the study of the screenplay were there any books you picked up before you entered the first semester of college yeah Sid Field's book which is a famous one um, I have an autographed copy oh nice um, and of course Joseph Campbell and um, there was, I don't remember the other ones but the ones that you would think and then it was just getting on to, to writing you know and also seeing screenplays and in classes we would be given scripts as well there was more access to that and our teachers were always industry professionals so that helped as well for them to sort of you know train us and keep us in the in the uh, you know guide us along into the way of how, this is how a scripts written at least you know in Hollywood per se would you as a class go through it like you know there'd be 50 copies passed out and then you'd read it like how did yeah there was one script? class that we each got a copy of the script and it, it would be a movie that I think was um, going to be made and the teacher was going to make the film so we got to see how a movie was broken down and it's you know what I mean so we could see that from a writer's perspective like oh it has to be broken into days and you know it's not filmed in order and all these things that you know sometimes writers who are just starting out don't think about you know that a movie has to be broken down into how many days you can't have too many scenes for a particular budget because how many scenes are you going to shoot per day you know these type of things so um, yeah, it was a great study in, in the, the actual um, you know being a savvy production writer which I think is important as well and did they ever make the movie that teacher oh jeez I don't remember oh okay maybe maybe not I'm not sure I was wondering if you got to see the <laughs> no I didn't no okay. it was probably proposed and maybe probably couldn't get the financing you know yeah. Right. so yeah would the students give feedback would they become their own sort of like note givers or was it mm. simply just a read along yeah I don't, there, I don't think he was interested in 
in feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a writer. Okay. Yeah, writer, producer, director. Yeah, so, there yeah, you go. I don't think he was like, oh, I don't care. You're supposed to listen to me, not the other way around. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was how, yeah, the class was. Yeah. Well, other classes that we wrote screenplays in our own, you know, we'd get feedback on our own scripts, you know, from, from our, our collective class, which was small, luckily. I think one class we had eight people. So it wasn't like, you know, like a film studies class where you have 300 people. So, and then, you know, we'd each give notes and the teacher would give notes. And, you know, at the end of the uh, semester, we have a finished script. So that's really in, in, in film school when I started to, you know, write feature length screenplays per se. How long did it take you to write where you felt you were writing at a professional level? Hmm. Probably five feature length screenplays. Because it was my fifth spec that actually um, was optioned and sold, so I'm like, well, I must be doing something right, sure. <laughs> you know. But it took about, and the ones before were kind of bumbling, and there was, you know, it wasn't obviously quite up to par to compete. It, those, those are the ones that always you have to get out of your system, you know, the first two or three, and a lot of many times. Um, writers write their first script and they're like, where's my agent? You know, this is their first script of their first draft, you know, and say, this is brilliant. And you're like, well, the first of anything is not going to be, unless you're a genius, which you very well may be. But most of the time, there's so many things that, so many moving parts, you know, that it's hard even at best to get it like, wow, this is, you know, 100% there. So it takes time. And so about the fifth one, um, you know, it was about, okay, I, I think I've got this under control, you know, and then, you know, and then from that also, that was a learning experience to work with producers because one thing to write your script, it's another to now it's real, you know, where you don't live in your bubble and you're like, everything's exactly the way I want. And you're like, well, now it's being taken away from me and I have to compromise and make changes and there's budgets and all sorts of things, you know, and you stick to, you stick to the creative aspects of it because you wrote it, but you have to realize that filmmaking is a collaborative, you know, art form and there's other people involved. Starts with the script, but a script is just a script. You know, it's words on paper, it has to be brought, elevated to actors and someone to direct it and, you know. So I think it, it was the fifth. My fifth spec. And so not just the fact that you were being hired to do something, but was it also the ease or the, the comfort in your own skin of like, okay, I'm working with other people and they may not like this and I'm going to get feedback and I'm going to be okay with that or what? Was there like something that also shifted? Not just the fact that you got these jobs, which is huge, but I mean, did you also feel like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, this is, I'm doing this. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> Even now, to a certain extent, you know, there's still that, um, with artists, I don't think it ever goes away, especially writers where you're, you know, this voice is going, oh my gosh, this is the one that they find out you're a fraud. You actually were able to fool them, you know, 16 times. And now is the one where they catch you, you know. Um, but it's a constant learning experience. And I always say I get butterflies before every job because I respect it such and I don't take it for granted. Sure. Like, oh, this will be a walk in the park or I know how to do this. I do, but every time out is different. 
Every script's different, every producer's different, so it's not gonna be the same as last time. So you can't say, well, this last one, and some are easy, and some are just the worst thing ever, you know? I mean, I'm not saying the worst thing ever, but some are very difficult, and you just wonder, like, wow, how is it this one is so, more, so much more difficult than the last that was a breeze? And you don't know. I mean, it's, it's just a, a weird combination of, of elements, you know, and it's so, uh, but it's better, yes, absolutely. After I'm working on my 40th screenplay, so I, you wow. know, uh, but I still, like I say, bow down to the craft and respect it because I learn something every time that I didn't know before. And I should be open to that. I think writers should be. Should be never, you get to a plateau and you're like, I know everything. You know, a master martial artist is, is not only living it, but also continuing to learn. You know, so it's like that kind of, I keep using martial arts because I'm, studying right now a little oh, bit nice. yeah so it's it's helpful in the in the writing aspect philosophy of almost the same thing because you know the first moves are like well, that's not it you have to do this now the pressure has to be on that foot and you keep but if you just keep at it you know and, and be open to learning you know and with martial arts would you say it's 50 percent physical 50 percent mental i think well I'm not deep, deep into it. I've been, you know, I've been interested for many years, but a lot of it is mental. And the physicality is you can be a small person and still ward off an attack because of what you know. You know what I mean? It's it's using force against it's using, you know, against your own you know what I mean? It's like you don't have to be a Herculean person to defend yourself, but it's not about defense, you know, what I'm just saying, but it, writing it's it's a um discipline. And I think it should be followed as such, and it's a lifelong learning process. So, um, like I say, even after so many scripts, some are terrible, some are the best I've ever written, and I, I keep striving to have the next one be better than the last one. And there are a lot of factors when it ends up, when you actually have a, a movie that's filmed, it's out of your control. You, you write the script, but you're not there directing it, you're not there producing it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of choices that can fall short from what your vision of it becomes. So at that point, you have to step back and just go, well, on to the next one, you know? And it doesn't mean you don't care, but you can't care so much that every time you're just destroyed, you know? And, and, and uh, that's why I say about detachment is so important over the long haul because it doesn't mean you don't care. And believe me, still, I'm making changes now in a script and I'm just like, <sighs> you know, I care, but, I have to get this thing through the conveyor belt, you know, into the into production. So, um, you know, it's a lot less stressful for you over the long haul to care, but just sort of be, don't hang on too tightly, you know. Um, so that's just my personal experience. Do you think going back to the analogy of um, martial arts, that writing is similar, fifty percent? I wouldn't want to say physical, but the act of writing and, and you know, and then the other 50% is like this mental thing of showing up every day, not putting it off, not sure. going to the beach, and not letting the little voice say, this is horrible, I'm not going to finish this. And, and uh, yeah, yes, and a lot of it is feel too. You know, writing is not just um, mechanical. It, there's a there's feel like you're like you're sculpting. I think like with clay, you know, you're writing a scene, but you're 
your technique is through you know a laptop or whatever you write on and it's coming out here onto the page and so with that it, it's a combination of all things mental physical but also um, you know it's it's amazing because once when you feel and you get a move right and you don't have to think about it it's like you know and you but I said, how would this person ever study for so many years and do all these different things because it just same way with screenwriting how could you study and know all these different things because you just keep doing it again and again and again you know and that's back to your earlier comment about who's a writer and who's not if you're a writer you write you don't talk about it you know, Hemingway had a quote about that. Writers don't talk about their stuff. They're too busy working. And it, what I mean about that is like, oh, I'm you know, doing my pages and this and that, which is fine, but you better be doing the pages you're talking about. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it's just you're doing more talking about your work than actually doing the work. And it's always about the work. So we can talk about our work, but if there is no work that's real, and I'm not saying you have to sell something either. You know, writers who write, you're, you're absolutely a writer. You know, but if you if you find that it's not for you, that's okay too. Because I see people come up against that wall all the time, and they're fighting desperately. It's like you let go. It's okay to let go if it's not right for you. Why do you want to try to force it? You know what I mean? Because it's a long, it's up and down journey to be a, a writer. You know, so it's you. That's why I would say you have to really love it more than anything else. Because it's going to be, uh, it's going to break your heart, and it's going to be the the best thing you've ever experienced in your life at the same time. What makes the first draft of a screenplay crucial to a writer's success? Hmm, I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of uh, theories going around that the first draft can be crap, you know, and and it has to be. And I don't believe that it has to be crap. Absolutely not. And. Uh, Ernest Lehman, who the great six-time nominated Academy Award, six-time nominated screenwriter, who did West Side Story, uh, North by Northwest, um, Sweet Smell of Success, he said the first draft is dangerously important because it's difficult. Now this next part is paraphrasing. To totally change something into another direction once you, you've had it down, and it is difficult. It's like building a house and then having the walls don't quite have the right structure and the windows over you know you have to go back in and now you're dismantling things to try to rewrite it and everybody has their own way of working which is fantastic whatever's best for you but i always think why would you waste the time that it takes to write a first draft and know that it's not going to be good and know that 60 70% of it is going to be thrown out or rearranged or maybe not even used to get a kernel of, of something that can be used. And I always say, by the way, when you start working, which is the intent, I suppose, of screenwriters is to work, meaning they're being hired to write scripts that you know, go in, you know, are produced into movies, is that you can't turn in a crappy first draft. You'll be fired. So on assignment jobs, my first draft has to be really pretty good to work with. It can't be like, well, that was a nice pass, you know. Now we're behind in development, you know, sort of. And so you want, I've trained myself over the years to really, and had to, have the first draft be really solid because the outline was really solid. And that's another discussion about outlines. 
Um, and also people are, well, I just wing it. I, you know, I sit down and I write a script and then you get lost in page 40 and you can't really see the rest of where you're going, you know, and so it becomes a muddled mess. And it's like, what, you know, the, and I know it sounds that it's like some kind of formula, like, well, just do this, this, and this. But sort of when you start writing professionally, there are steps. That's how you're paid too, it's steps. So we turn in the first draft and then we have notes and then we execute the second and we move on and on. So um, yes, the first draft I believe is really important, you know, and it doesn't have to be perfect. There, there shouldn't be any pressure like, I can't write it because I know it's bad. But if, you're, if you've already done like really the heavy lifting in the outline, then the first draft should kind of, should kind of be a breeze because you've already kind of, in a way, seen the film, worked it out before you've ever gone to pages, you know, pages of, of the actual screenplay. And I have found that every time because the more time you work on the outline, the more details, and, and again, now people are gonna say, it stifles my creativity, there's no room, there's complete room for freedom and creativity, but you have a safety net. You're not falling off that high wire and dropping down the canyon into the river below. You're gonna boom, you've, you know, you've got the net that, that captures you. And so many things come out while I'm writing the script that I never thought of in the outline because I'm in that world and I have that, that, that room to play and go this way, but I know what's coming next because I've already thought of it, you know, kind of thing. So the first draft I think is really important. Just to play devil's advocate, what if I say, well, I'm already hesitant as a writer, I already don't believe in my ability. So if I do a quote vomit draft, that helps me sit down and, and, and realize, okay, wait, maybe this isn't that bad. And if I couldn't do that vomit draft, then I wouldn't write. Hmm, okay. That's, to me, it's kind of like rolling the dice, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> okay, all <laughs> well, right, so that's I, the I biggest... like vomiting. I don't like vomiting. I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, I get it, I understand. Uh, but my point, again, I hammer back, there's no vomit draft when you start working. I haven't experienced it. Maybe some people have. They'll get paid just, eh, I'll see you in a month. You know, do whatever you want to do. The investors don't care. The network has no idea what you're doing because it's just, you know. So as I say, writing specs, I believe, is a training ground, right? Because that's how you learn to write. Bad spec after bad spec thing becomes a good spec. And next time you learn from this, blah, blah, and the notes and how to execute notes. That's how you start learning how to write screenplays because you, you write bad spec. You learn from your mistakes, you get notes, you take uh, you know, the blows and you come back stronger next time, what not to do, and you become a more efficient screenwriter rather than wasting time. You're not gonna be able to waste time when you're working professionally. You're gonna be under a contract. And I know I'm coming at from that angle, but it's the only angle I can come from because that's my experience as of the last 20 years. So I do remember when I was writing the specs in college and. You know, I still write specs, but it's different because they're on my own time, you know, and, and there's no pressure there. But if you've never sold anything, you know, um, you, again, I, I suppose, we, I guess we could have the argument with, you know, but I'm just saying, I think it's great to train yourself now to sort of be in more structured if you're a writer who wants to work in the Hollywood system. Hollywood system meaning a producer hires you to write a screenplay or they hire you um, to buy your screenplay, you're gonna to have to do rewrites on it, things like that. So if you hired an architect and they give you this vomit draft of the blueprints, <laughs> it probably is not going to fly. And you not probably really. 
<laughs> and the Probably architect might go, hey, look at my other homes, you know, and uh, this is not the way I work, man. You know, I like to just wing it. And you're like, why is the window facing up? I don't understand, you know, what are we looking at? So um, I think it's, yeah, I think, um, and I know people just have to, I wish I could just vomit a script out, you know, where it's like soup to nuts, it's, it's all done, it's perfect. But that vomiting can be done in the outline where you're like, wow, making those mistakes there before you ever go to the screenplay. And then like I said, the screenplay should be a pleasurable experience. It should be like, huh, and today I did five more pages. You know what? Because I know what I'm doing. I've lived with the characters. I'm not first seeing them on this blank page of the screenplay. I've, I've lived with them in the outline. I, I know what's gonna happen. I know the intent of the scene. And stuff, again, always comes out. Brilliant stuff that you go, that would be great because you're living in that world. You're not suddenly trying to make it up as you go. You can do that in the outline. Nobody's gonna see the outline. I mean, eventually they will see it, but what I'm saying is um, that's like the pre-blueprint. You know, the, pre, the pre-screenplay is the outline. And the more time you spend on that story, the easier the script's gonna be to write and, and, and you're gonna know more about it. You're gonna see the story in your head. And to continue that, not every, t- every time that the outline's accepted and you go to script, let's say, are they gonna like the script either? And that happens too all the time. Happens recently where it's like, yeah, but you agreed to, didn't we agree to the outline? But when they see the finished product, this part doesn't work, they thought it did. And so, um, you know, it's like if the house was built and then you go, well, in the blueprints, I kinda liked that, but now I don't. So that happens too, you have to be prepared for that. And other times there's hardly, I've done a script where um, they're like, we hardly have any notes. You're like, oh my gosh, that's never happened. I think because of the solid outline. What makes a great story? I think what makes a great story is something that someone can watch and um, have an emotional response to and, and perhaps learn something from or be uplifted by. And uh, you can really see that the, the person creating the film or whatever is really passionate about their, their point of view or their voice. And also something that you personally, if you were gonna write that story, are passionate about as well. You know, great stories, as you can see with films, stand the test of time. So there's a reason why we go back and we keep seeing these movies over and over again that, that you know, in the pantheon of cinema, that why do they touch us and, you know, from people around the world? Because it's like a universal theme, you know, uh, know good versus evil, it's a basic one, you know, but it's something that transcends um, uh, countries. It, it's, it just, it finds the essence of the human condition. So, and that's, uh, I don't want to say hard to find, but you, people, you find it and you try to stick that interject you know, into what stories you, you want to tell as, as a writer or a filmmaker. I mean, I know you have your outline, but sure. at what point are you really honing in on that dialogue? Um, I, you know, when I'm doing the outline, I'm not, if I have a, a line that comes up, you know, I'll, I'll throw it in just for my own sake so I remember it, but I'm, I'm running those scenes in my head you know, about what what people are gonna say and, you know, the, the characters and when, you know, this is the first time you're gonna sit down and craft the scene. So you two have never been together and I have to write it. 
And if I, if I stay in that character's voice in my head, for the most part, it'll continue through. But then you do another pass and redefine it and say, man, they really wouldn't say that and, and this and that. So, um, you know, first draft is good for that is to being with your characters and sort of sussing out the first time. And it may not be perfect. It won't be about their voice because you got to find it. You got to get a handle on that for, for the different characters. Um, so uh, it helps, you know, like when you do your character profiles, if, if you decide to sit down like an actor would and really suss it out to think of how this character speaks, what their point of view is, you know, things like that. Because many times I do read scripts and you could take the names off from characters and they kind of sound like the same person. And that's not what you don't want. It should be like you take the names off and I go, ah, oh, I know who that is. Oh, I know who this is. You know, it has to be that distinct because otherwise it just all blends into people just saying things and they, people don't speak the same way, you know. And at what point do you thin out the dialogue or, or maybe you don't need to in that you start to read it and go, you know, this just sounds too, like people wouldn't really say this. Let me thin this out, have it be more monosyllabic. The second draft. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or usually it gets the, the notes about cut this speech or, you know, cut the first line out. You're saying the same thing. And, and that's, you know, it, it's second draft should be more, you know, redefining, not like throw that out. Let's, you know, and I've worked on scripts like that, you know, as a script doctor where it's like, this is completely, see everything that you're reading here? Yeah, you can't use it. Oh, gives you the title, the character names, everything's got to re recalibrate, re rewritten. Um, so second draft is great for going through that and polishing up and then, you know, you put it away for a week and you come back to it and it really is glaring like, did I write that? You know. Um, this does, it bumps for me. This character doesn't sound like, and, and many times uh, people find it's good to speak the dialogue aloud, you know, or have table reads where they can hear it, uh, you know, like, like they do with plays, you know, it's like, mm, that doesn't quite sound like that character. And then an actor is a good, is a good person for that to really, you know, read it and go, this kind of doesn't, you know what I mean? Like in a reading, an actor would take the character in and, and go, it doesn't right sound right. And you go, oh, okay. You know, if you're workshopping it type of thing. If, if someone can't get a bunch of actors together for whatever reason, would it be helpful maybe to speak into a tape recorder, their iPhone? Oh, sure. And, and, and the, software's, the software has, um, you know, you can put it, it will read the script for you and you can listen. So, but the voice is, is okay, you know. But yeah, it'd be good. I speak, you know, the dialogue, people probably, what's that guy talking to himself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm crazy. I decided to be a writer, you know? <laughs> These people leave you alone on the street. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm writing, I'm writing constantly in my head, you know? How do you know you're getting the dialogue right? Again, I, a feel, you know, I mean, personally for me, it's a feel, a feel and, and, and sound, you know, and, and, and vision about the, you have to really know your characters to write each one individually and what they would say and, and more importantly what they would not you know a lot of time dialogue is written and I see a scene and I'm like you know they, this character doesn't have to say that line let them emote you know with you know 60 feet on the screen with a look rather than you know you, you want to err on action first and dialogue second you know so um, dialogue is extremely important but that shouldn't drive your 
you know, it shouldn't drive the narrative by people speaking because most of the time people don't say what they mean. You know, so a lot of times it's going to be like the subtext below that about what they really mean. You know, and dialogues, it's hard to do well. You know, you read things and like I said, you've got characters that all sound the same. And it's just sort of like it sits there on the page and it's not, you know, I could strip the name off and I would go, I, they both sound like the same person. You know, so it, it, it takes time and, and like we discussed earlier about maybe, you know, tape it, you know, um, with your phone or something and listen back. And if it doesn't sound, you know, this is the thing about sound, the way people talk, their diction, what they would, what they would say and what they wouldn't say, what they would reveal and not, you know. The tone. The tone. Sure. Exactly. Because you could say one thing, it would sound completely friendly and, and kind. Sure. And another, and it's just a matter of tone. And then when you start working with actors, that's like the workshop level because they'll take your piece and go, okay, and then internalize it and then go, this doesn't, because I've seen it on sets where the actor's like, I don't, this doesn't work for me. You know, I need to change this. And it's like, okay, as long as I'm not too changed because, you know, you take that line out earlier, you know, we're not talking about a big rewrite, but, you know, I mean, internalizing it and saying, because now I know my, my character wouldn't really say that. And you go, okay, that's fair, you know. In writing it, I thought it would, and now on the set, it doesn't work, you know, so there's, there's that thing. So it's constant evolving, uh, you know, entity is the, the screenplay, you know, because you're, you're shooting it for the first time, and, you know, it's a create, creative process. Things, there's choices made on the set all the time. In what ways does a screenwriter disrespect format? By not learning format, <laughs> pretty much. Um, I know many people say format, who cares? And there are, there's no rule book. There's, there's a accepted way that scripts are written, of course. And so people who read scripts a lot are going to expect a script to be written that way. Exterior, you know, with, slug, with the location header, followed by description, followed by dialogue. And there are particular ways of doing that, but it's not writing the script in crayon. You know, I mean, it's, and importantly enough, what I always see is, is if something's not clear. And so when you read a script and the style isn't clear or I'm like, was that character in the car? You know, I, I don't, it's confusing. That's going to kill you because a reader is going to get your script and they're going to scan it. They're going to, you know. They're not going to read word for word, you know. They scan the script. They have a lot of scripts to read, readers. And if it keeps bumping that way and it gets confusing and you have to go back and turn the page back and say, I didn't quite, oh, it's, you know, it's not going to reflect well upon you as a writer or the project. And sometimes people say, well, you know, they'll, they'll see through, you know, all that stuff to my genius of how the idea is. There's a lot of great screenplays out there. So there's no need to weed through you know, a bunch of mess to try to find the genius idea in there. You know, it's, it's all about the execution of that idea. So format's extremely important because also it shows if I'm the script that I'm reading, I, I could look at the title page and then I flip to page one, just one page, and I can see, you know, okay, maybe this person is a professional writer and maybe they're not, but format will give you away every time because of what you don't know. And so if it doesn't look like a script, you know, it's going to be hard to get through it and understand the nature of how a script is written, to read it. And that's the thing. I want to read the script and be able to see it and understand. And format is what 
does that. So people maybe mistake novel writing, the same format with, with A bit, yeah. There's also two camps about that where, you know, it doesn't matter, I wanna write what's in the character's head, you know, and the other camp is, you can only write what you can see or hear on the screen, period. And you can deviate, but when you start to read scripts that read like a novel, you know, he walked to the window and stared out, thinking about his girlfriend back when he was 12. How do you show that? You're telling me that. If you show that where he picks up a picture and he sees his girlfriend at 12, or I say it in dialogue, those are two ways to do it cinematically. But the other way is just telling us, you know, and for a director to read that, an actor might go, okay, that's what I'll think about, but how am I gonna show that? So there, there, you know, there's two camps vying for that, and I tend to err on, uh, you can only write what you can show, so. How do you keep the audience engaged in the script? You keep them engaged by making them work. You know, they, they're, they're a, an observer of the movie and you're leading them along the path, but like Billy Wilder said, you give an audience, you, you allow an audience to add up two plus two equals four, they're gonna love you forever, right? So we wanna watch a movie, but we also want to, oh, you know, ah, yeah, that, you know, setups, payoffs, I had this discussion recently with another writer who goes, well, I don't write a lot of those, you know, setups and stuff like the commercial movies you write. And I was like, okay. Um, but setups, we love that, you know, because in act one, when we set up this thing, it saves in act two and we go, that's the, I wondered why they showed the, the keys in the thing, right? Everything's for a reason. Nothing in there is, is left to chance. You know what I mean? Um, so you keep an audience engaged by interesting characters too, you know. Interesting. Um, so a setup is a little clue. Yeah, setups, and then sometimes the setup is not paid off. You know, there's there's films that you, many times, maybe like in a noir or something, you go you thought was gonna, and it doesn't. You're like that's okay, but when you when you have little setups that that later on, you know, oh my gosh. Um, that's why he left the knife in the thing because he thought, you know, and so when you get that, you're now being, you're active in your mind, not just passive watching a movie go by, you know, it becomes more interesting, you know. Um, I don't know, just. So clues, but some of them can be false. Sure. To keep the view on their toes. And um, twists and turns are extremely important. We don't want to just go, ah. Uh, you know, the minute you you bring us along and think we're going one way, we sag on another. Uh, you know that that's going to keep my interest. You know, wow, yeah. Where it's not just I've seen this before. You know, it's going to happen. The killer is going to be behind the door with the thing, and then when that doesn't happen, you're like, oh, you know, it didn't. Have, wow, it's it's different, it's refreshing. You know, rather than like a formulaic cookie cutter. I've seen this a million times before, which happens. You know. Or also the the benevolent nature of the character, like you think somebody is right, in good. their camp. Sure, and then or, they, or, yeah, characters as well, uh, changing sides and allegiance, and you know all that stuff is. That's why um, you have to have it all throughout to make it interesting, to make us want to, to or, or in a screenplay want to turn that page. We're like, uh, you know, uh, I want to have a page turner. It's like that's the way the movie's gonna be, hopefully, a page turner. You know, it's, I can't wait to the next scene. 
you know, um, cliffhangers. You know, it's a TV show, cliffhanger. We end up this episode, oh, they come at the end of the cliff. You know, they're gonna go in the next, oh, you caught my, no, they got saved, you know. Um, or especially like in uh, films where everybody seems dark in terms of their motives, but right. actually you find out. Like I'm thinking of Margin Call, it was great, great. Did you watch Margin Call? No. Oh, I didn't. you didn't see that, okay. Yeah, it was about, um, well, we'll skip it, skip but. Um, Everybody seems, seems. Except for Stanley Tucci's character, but the, uh, most people there, you're like, all of the characters, their motives seem, you know, this is during the recession, right. and you're not sure who's gonna lose their job, right, and right. who's kind of, quote, selling out, and. Uh, yeah, just it keeps you on your toes because you're not sure. Yeah, that that definitely keep an audience watching. You know, um, look at some of the like I say, some of the best films, um, and and look at those and say, how did that work? You know, um, and again, characters too. We want to go on the ride where we like these characters. That's another thing too. When I read the script, I'm like, we want to care about them. It's another thing when I read a script, I'm like, I don't really care about just because they're here on the page. Right. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I want to. I want to root for them. You know, or or be surprised, or you know, something, some kind of emotional response. Let's say uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. So not all of the characters. In fact, many of them were not likable. Sure. But there was something in them. Like let's say Jack Lemmon's character. Yeah. yeah. You There's cared something. about him. Right. You saw the desperation, mm -hmm. and you wanted. You were. You know, there were. But, they weren't maybe necessarily people you'd want to work with, but right, there yeah. was something in them that you cared for. Yeah, that's hard to craft. I mean, absolutely. What do new screenwriters need to know about story structure? What would you teach them? Well, story structure that you have to have an idea that that can can fill, let's say, a screenplay. Many times, someone sits down to write. They say, "I have an idea for a script," and it really quite isn't a fully fleshed out story with a beginning, a middle. And an end, and so I would say before you sit down, you can have a kernel of an idea which blossoms into something bigger, but try to work on it where you can step back away and go, is this a movie? As we know, movies, you know, um, is it going to be big enough? Um, and there are small stories. I'm not saying that small stories aren't movies, but if you're going to write a feature film for, you know. Big Hollywood for you know four thousand screens, it may not be this little idea. You know, and sometimes um, even when I see an outline, there's not enough story there to facilitate a hundred pages. You know, you think it is, and you're like, well, you kind of skipped over most of the second act here. You didn't quite think through all that. Um, and structure is extremely important. So screenplays are built on, you know, telling the story. Um, so, your story was originally, I mean, your, your question about structure. Do you think then a lot of people just have a great beginning and then a, a, a finishing, yes. at, and then in the middle is very muddy? Yes, it's, okay. it's always muddy in the middle, and the first act is the easiest setup because it's all set up, right? We're all setting up the, you know, the thing, and then you have to go on the journey in act two, and that's where it starts to get more difficult because, like I say, if you're just uh, winging a script, it's always those big barren wasteland in the middle that's really, you know, you can know the ending, hopefully it'll get you there. I know the ending scene, fantastic, you know where you have to get, but all that stuff in between, you know, 
that that always seems to be the issue is the is the big let's say it's act two the middle the middle part which is pretty much the meat and potatoes of you know the movie what has helped you get to a better second act well knowing the ending for sure but also um really getting to the essence of what, what am I trying to do with this story? You know what I mean? What, what's, um, what's my theme? What is my, what's this about? What's, you know, is it just, well, uh, two people on a car ride and they drive across the country. Great, that could be an amazing story, but what happens? What is it about? You know, what's the, what's the problem? What, what do they have to face what, to get to that ending part? And working on an outline, I hate to refer back to that, is working on the story. So you just, um, and sometimes a story, you think it, it's something's there and it doesn't work. You know, and other times I, I've done many drafts of an outline where I couldn't find the story and I kept trying to fight it and then I realized that it had to do with the characters. And so the story was there, the A, B, C, and D of it, but it still wasn't working. So a lot of times you can have an idea which you have to work it, you have to work it into its, you know, it, its full essence of what it can be. And sometimes it, you may want to just leave it alone and say, you know what, that, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a story that, that I can manage together and I'm going to move on to something else. That's okay too. Do you think a lot of people have trouble letting go of their stories? Like what if it's a very personal story? Well, yeah, well, if it's a personal story, um, it would be hard to let go trying to force it but then I might say maybe it's not meant to be a screenplay maybe it's meant to be something else maybe a book you know or I don't know what what uh, it could be but and that's for the writer to decide if it really is not is not working and it's okay to, to move on to something else there's no no harm no foul you know have you done that where you're like you know what I, I love these characters but for some reason this isn't going, I mean, for, for yeah. things that you've written on your own, not yes. been paid to write. Uh, I, I have a hard time, I'm so strict about it has to be like, like a really good idea of my own that it sort of, I have this inner filter that it limits that, unfortunately. So um, yeah, many times I've said this one just is not, it's not working. And other ones, you other ones you see right away because the characters are so vibrant and alive and you're like, yeah, I can... I can see this, you know, that this is what, what it works. And like I said, there's no, there's no harm in maybe putting it aside too. Maybe another time as you can become a more experienced writer that you can go back to it and work on it. So nothing's ever dead, you know, you don't have to discard it completely. Um, nor, nor do I think you should, but to move on is okay as well. You put it in, you know, in the, in the notebook and say, you know, and that's how you build ideas. That's how you build a, an arsenal of stuff that you can go back and work on and keep your well and your creative well full, you know. You've also talked about just living life yes. as well. To, to How do you know when, aside from not being on an assignment, that it's time to go and, and fill the well? Because I know that yeah. the life behind a computer can get very one-dimensional. Oh, sure. you know? yeah, I hate uh, sitting at the keyboard. I mean, it's, in the, it's a necessity, but um, sure. you also have to live your life. And like we were talking about that, you know, an, an authentic life outside your comfort zone is a good thing. 
you know, do things that you're afraid of. I don't mean jump off a cliff, but um, I went skydiving once, you know, oh. and that was uh, one time only. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't just to go, oh, I mean, some people were going and, and they said, hey, you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And it's not something I, I would ever do again. And I'm not a daredevil type person, but it was amazing experience. And those kind of experiences, you know, you can write into your projects where it's not just you're living in a little protected bubble where you're writing stuff that you've seen on television or movies where you're just regurgitating, which could be cliches to begin with, which probably are. You know, that, that's where your own personal experience comes into characters and, and your unique voice and things. Because I've lived it. I went to blah, blah, blah. I've been, you know, I've been there, you know, type of thing. So, yeah, writers should have interesting lives if possible. Yeah, because I was watching a master class with David Sedaris. Oh, yes. It's hilarious. And he picks up garbage, I guess, uh, around the little town that he lives in. Wow. And he says that, you know, he wears his vest and he does it, and people don't realize a lot of times that he's this writer, this author. And sure. So sometimes they'll be like, oh, sir, you actually missed a piece over here. <laughs> and he goes with it. Yeah. And he says, I would have, this is, this gets me out. This is yeah. where I'm able to see people in ways that I wouldn't see them right, when I'm yeah, speaking in front of them. They're not gonna talk to me like that, you know? And he goes with it and he, and he, oh yeah, sure, sorry about that. And so that's part of his way, he's doing a good thing and he and, also gets out and interacts with people. And he's, he's observing life too, you know, as an as a, a actor or writer, it's good to observe the world around you, get off the phone, you know, and actually go, oh my gosh, that's interesting, this is real life out here, you know, it's an interesting character. Or, Oh, I heard that little, at the coffee shop, that person said that thing, you know, write it down in your notebook. These are, these are cool little things that you can start building upon. It's, being, it's part of your job to be an observer as well as an adventurer, you know, I think so. I mean, I don't mean, you know, take off, quit your job and, you know, sail across the world if that's your thing. But you can do it, like you say, um, with small things that just are kind of different. Like, oh, we normally wouldn't do that and don't be afraid to try that because it all will it all will filter back, hopefully, into your work, you know, into your writing. So when someone reads something, it won't be, I saw this scene in last week on television, you know, or, you know what I mean? It's sort of like different and fresh, unique because it's it's personal. It's, it's a personal experience, you know. It feels like in some ways there's less places to go these days. You know, a lot of bookstores aren't around anymore. Yes, I know. And that used to be one place where you could just get out, you know? Yes, yes. And yeah, you can go to a coffee shop and there's some great ones, but people are also busy with headphones on. Sure. And, um, They're all um, doing their own thing, you know, not sort of like, I'm in my own little world, you're in your right. world, yeah. Yeah, but it is helpful because you just don't know... I mean, aside from, from maybe vacations or something, what are some other things you do to get yourself out of that? Well, just try to get out in the world, you know, try to, you know, I, I tend to be an introvert sometimes when I'm working, so then you gotta be like, get out of there, you know, go, go. Uh, it's not like it hasn't been done in the past, obviously, but you have to, you have to keep yourself in check that you don't, it doesn't become like, you know, 80, 20 of 80, introvert 20 you know when it was more before because it can slip very easily that way where you're like uh mm. i don't want to go out i want to do this thing um just being around people too good bad and different whatever sure you know sure yeah i um, see all sorts of stuff out there yeah yeah was it jackie gleason who said his advice for like people in the industry was get out 
Like don't be a shut in. And also I think get out of the, the business, you know, because Hollywood is like this weird little place where everybody around is talking about the business, you know, right. and you're like, is there anybody saving lives here at this party? Do we have a doctor or something? You know, I mean, it, I mean, no, at times it really is like, oh, right. you know, and we all want to congregate together because everybody's bibbity bobbity network. But many times it's really great, you know, some big actor, I remember his, his best friends are not even in the business. They're just, you know, people not in the film business. And you're like, yeah, that's refreshing, you know. I have both, both, you know, in and out, you know. Sure. So um, it's good to have a nice mix. But if you're just around that only, it's sort of like this fake world, you know, kind of thing, so. What structure have you used the most often? The pseudo three act, but, you know, for, TV movies, it's nine, eight acts and a coda at the end. So it's, um, you know, it's about nine to 11 pages per act, but the first one's the longest, which I like uh, breaking it up that way because it seems a lot less, you know, this big middle act, you know, let's say, I'm just paraphrasing, you know, let's say act two starts on page 20, you know, and goes to 80. You know, it's 60 pages, you know, but if you, but if it's, and you're like, oh, I'm not even through act two. But if you're sort of like, well, I've done 11 pages, I'm now into act three. You know, it's sort of structured in that way. But, um, you know, specs are the basic around act three kind of structure type thing, you know. So forgive me, with TV, because sitcoms aren't aren't maybe what they used to be, mm. and, and you're you're watching more serialized content. Yes, TV. without breaks. Yeah. So it's it's changed then. So the sitcom structure was one thing. Yeah, I'm talking about. I mean, um, like network television, which are still have commercials. But yeah, streaming. There's no you can. It would be the same as a movie almost. Yeah. Okay. I would think. Yeah. I mean, this, the scripts I've read, for, you know, streaming they they have the ability just to have. You know, I mean, 35 minutes is, you know, kind of thing. I mean, the Game of Thrones were, uh, were over an hour. Some of them were like hour five, maybe, you know, which you'd never find on network TV. It'd be like the 60 minutes, we're on to the next thing. Right, right. Yeah. But then there's a continuation. So yes. Yeah. But there's more, the there's more, um, I think it's great. There's more room to, to play with that, you know, on streaming platforms and things. You know, it didn't have to be adhere to this exact, like, it's got to be, you know, like the old, it was um, half hour is 22 pages with commercials, and the hour is 42 with commercials. You know, it's like that strict kind of thing, which they go, no, it's, it's 65. Oh, 70 minutes, you know, because you're just watching the thing. Right. Know? So, so there's, there's. A resolution within each episode, but then there's a through line that it's going to continue. Yeah. Okay, unless it's the final. Unless it's just a one-off. I mean, sorry, a, mo a movie, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But I still think it it still does follow the same A, B, and C, you know, first, second, third act, wrap it up type of thing. Even within that one yeah. Yeah, yeah. 30, 40 minute serialized. Because essentially we, you know, you sit there for some movies out now are two, almost three hours. So, you know, they was reading about we only, we've been trained into watching movies and we start to, if you start to shift, 
you know, you know, it's attention span too. Sure. Because you know, if it's if it's engaging, I'll sit there for three hours and forget it is, you know. Well, some movie theaters have comfortable chairs and stuff. Yes, don't. I will say it's that. It's true. Yes, they've changed a lot. <laughs> like, yeah. Some are you're in an amazing recliner. Yeah, you could fall asleep. You know. So sure, sure. I missed that middle hour. It didn't matter. <laughs> and then others are like, it feels like it's you know at a, at a family barbecue and right, somebody yeah, got a chair from the garage. So <laughs> <it's> <laughs> you know. a metal chair. Right, right, but um, right. But if it's engaging, I think of a movie like you were saying. How do you capture the? If it's engaging. I'll watch a three-hour movie and I'll just be like, wow, that was three hours? You captured my attention. Wow. But other times, if you're shifting, and this is too long, you know, this is like, or you're just like, what's going on? Let's wrap this as a self-indulgent, you know. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When you sit next to someone or near someone that's enjoying a film, I feel like it's contagious. Yes. And then the opposite. Right. If they're fidgety or they're, you know. Or there's like this family drama going around and they're changing seats. Right, yeah. What are you doing? You know, right. the movies are This isn't your living room. No. And I've yeah. seen that. And yeah. then I've actually moved and I sat next to a woman who loved the film and it was great. And we were right. both laughing at the same parts. Never saw her again, but it was enjoyable. Yes, yeah, so that, that collective energy mm -hmm. where you go opening night and, and you know that energy of like everybody's there to be entertained, you know, and you can feel it. It's almost palpable, you know. Through, yeah. yeah. And the same way you're talking about where if, if people are like you know, taking phone calls in the aisles, and yeah, or the phone lights up, and you're like, oh my gosh, you just ruined the thing for me. I'm a purist. I have to when I go in. There's no talking. Absolutely. I went with a friend, and I had never been to the movies with him, and uh, I didn't realize he was the worst person in the world to go to a movie with. And we're watching, and I think it was some action movie, and it's, oh, it's a, and he turns to me. And I see him <laughs> out of the corner of my eye, and I don't want to look at him. Like, mm, I'm like, mm. and he, I'm like, what? And he goes, oh my gosh. He goes, that was so crazy. It would never happen, but you believe it, right? And I'm like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> so I put him on the list, never to see a movie with him again. You know, it's scary because now I go alone. I'm like, I don't want anybody. You know, before the trailers, it's very important because that's that's the. Um, I say it's the, the church of cinema. You know, you're going Absolutely. in for the, the one time you're probably going to see it. And that first time is so important how, how you feel. And, you know, you see a movie successive times and it could be one of your favorites. But I don't want to be interrupted. I want to have my own thing, you know. And a lot of times now, it's just, it's, it's hard. Even when you go in off times, you're like, don't you people have jobs? It's like the movie's, the, you know, filled at noon. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's like, isn't everybody working? You know. I like to see movies with people. I do too. But not when they're on their phones. And I've definitely seen, yeah. I've witnessed some major arguments sure. during the movie. But it's for, more, yeah. if you go to the theaters <laughs> like the Cinematheque, there's going to be a different type of you know fan, moviegoer there because they'll respect the process. I found that. Hopefully. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. You're right. I, yeah. yeah. Right. But you're like, okay, with the munching and the thing and the swirling of the Coke, you know, right back here. <laughs> That's happened too with the big go. <laughs> you know, I'm like, or the picnic lunch that was brought in one time. Yeah, the whole theater's empty. I go, great, I'm going to see this movie alone. And a couple come in with their picnic. And they sit down. I'm in the middle of the theater, empty. They sit down right in front of me. Of course. Crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. You want this? And I start smelling like smells. I'm like, well, you know, foods, not popcorn, like, you know, food, meats, barbecue. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like, oh my gosh, crinkle, crinkle. You had to sit right in front of me, huh? Sure, of course. Because it's the collective, yeah. Yeah. So that part of uh, that's what shies me away from going to the theater, you know. 
Yeah. Oh, I had a woman that wanted me to clean her seat because it was dirty. <laughs> and I said, well, maybe we could just look this. Anyway, we won't go yeah, into that. Yeah, we'll but yeah. That. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we still love going to the movies. I, I do. I love it. And, I love and it. When you see it with the right audience and they're enthusiastic yeah, and they're respectful, it's fantastic. And you, sometimes you walk out and you're, you're you know, ah, it resonates with you and, and you just want to go home and write a fantastic movie like you've seen. You know, that's, that's when it's magic. Sure. You know, sure. and that, that happens every so often. Or you have the rare conversation with the total stranger sure. about the subject matter. Sure. And, it's, and, and you see in that moment how powerful just yeah, the, that the, experience was. Sure. With all these strangers in a darkened theater, and you're like, wow, we don't even know each other, but right. we're here for, I don't want to say church, but you know, it's a similar thing. We're it all, really is. We're yeah. all coming into, this is where the movie was meant to be seen. Not on your phone. No, no. I didn't shoot it in, in 70 millimeter for you to you know go on a rail stop and go, oh, that's great, you know. <laughs> so but we can watch it how we want, but it's you know right. it's nice when you you see the pure cinema that was meant to be, you know, from its intent, rather than you know it's become movies have become just another thing now. You know, it's a disposable like, oh yeah, it's a, another form of movies used to be the only thing, you know, and then television came in. But then they had to compete, and so we got to make bigger, you know, widescreen and keep all that. But now there's so much stuff, video game, there's so much uh, noise and things to distract you that it's just, it's another thing. People used to dress up to go to movies. I mean, dress up like with tuxedos, like it was a night out to be, you know, we're going to the movies. Oh, you know, more people went to the movies like in the 40s and 50s than they do today. The Depression. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I love that people want to be there, and I love to be in a in a crowd of, of sure, movie goers. Sure, the popcorn, goers, the smell, the anticipation. Mm -hmm. You know, the greatest childhood memories are going into that movie theater, and the lights come down, and you know the logo, you know, and there's Star Wars. You're like, ah, oh, and it takes you away to this galaxy, and you're like, oh man, I want to do that. You know, how do I create stories? You know, how do I? That's fantastic. I want to be a filmmaker. You know, it's the greatest memories of, of being yeah. a kid is going to see that and being influenced by movies. Sure, you know. I can still see E.T. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great. What are the top three mistakes a new screenwriter is likely to make on their first screenplay? Big one, I think number one is overwriting, not knowing what to put in and what to leave out. So the script is, you know, big speeches and things. It can be cleaned up as long as you know that it has to be cleaned up in the second draft, you know, I mean, hopefully there'll be knowledge to know that. Uh, number two, not proofreading the script, you know, typos and also format issues, um, which maybe format would be the third thing, you know, separate those typos. Basically, not being, you know, people get excited about finishing something and you have to keep it close until it really is worth having someone read it because, you know, it's a big problem if, if, uh, you know, it's, it's going to represent you and if it's not in a good shape, you know, it, it's not in a proper form to be read, then you won't get a second read or that person, you know, will look upon you and say, eh, you know, the writer is not good. How does a writer determine their strengths and weaknesses? Good question. A lot of times a writer's strength um, could, you know, I was thinking back to writing partners. Uh, which I, I had at one time for a number of years, and what our strengths were. And my partner's strength was coming up with the idea. 
he would have a dream and say, we're having coffee in the morning. Uh, I've, I've just, I have our next movie. And I would be, that wouldn't be such a strength of mine because I'm very picky about ideas and you know, they, they come few and far between for me. Not, you know, some people are like, everything's an idea for a movie. It kind of isn't. You have to work more at some and others are definitely not, you know, just boom. So his strength was coming up with the idea. My strength was actually for us to be able to sit down and write the idea, you know, structure, all this kind of thing. So, and he knew as well, but I was the one at the keyboard, you know, and so sometimes a writer also can have a strength of dialogue. So let's say a partner is like really good with dialogue and the other's good with structure, or both of them are good at both, you know, but uh, I think when you, the more that you write and find what your strength and weaknesses are will be from what notes you receive, you know, over time and time again, like, well, structure-wise, this is off and that. Your dialogue's great. Uh, your character's eh. You know what I mean? So I think you, you can only find out what your strengths or weaknesses by doing it. And then when you find a weakness, try to build upon that and, and get better, you know. Make, so it, make it a strength. Sure. So it's only by um, getting feedback. And if you don't have a writing partner, sending it out for notes, having... Sure. A friend, yeah, or writers' groups, or a consultant, or someone to read it, and you know these things. They, it takes time, of course. And from let's say you write a first script, you're not going to have any idea what your your strength is. That you got to page a hundred, you know, and you may have all the strengths uh, possible, but you also everybody has a weakness that has to be built upon. You know, I mean, to be to be. Uh, to have it all be up at the same level. So what you want to do is calibrate that. And it comes, it'll take time, but also like you said, it'll take, I think, from feedback. Because you'll see time and time again, what um, what am I not doing right? What's what's not hitting the mark? You know, well, your dialogue still isn't, it all sounds the same. You know, oh, I'm, I'm kind of weak at dialogue, but I can really craft a great structure. You know, type of thing. So I think after, um, two or three or more scripts maybe, you start to say, well, I should really study dialogue more. You know, like we were talking about, record it and be out in the world, listen to how, you know, inflections, tone, diction, things like that, so. Yeah, I'm always shocked at how, in, I mean, personal conversations, like on people's cell phones, it's, I mean, I guess you could get some incredible stories from them. I'm, I'm always surprised yeah. that people are willing to share such personal information oh, in sure, the public course. space. And you only hear the one side. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard some doozies in my time just being in a store and like, oh my goodness, like right. this person has, either they don't care. The or test came no back. <laughs> yeah, I've heard yeah. all sorts of stuff. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. And you I mean, can only imagine what's being said on that other side. That's great, you know, which is a technique, you know, like in a scene too, where it's like, we don't, you know, we, we can only know what's on this side in, in our mind, you know, type of That's thing. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, because it keeps, like, I'm thinking, who who is this other person on the right. end? And usually it's someone that's not doing a lot of talking. <laughs> sure. Or they don't say, hi, honey, or, you know, it's, it's a, you know, what, what's going on here? Right. You know, that you would say, well, that's a good, I love how everybody says, that's a good idea for a movie. You go, it's not. What is it? You know, it's like, okay, it's a kernel which could be built, but what is it about? You know, what do we, you know? Or someone comes to you to a party and says, 
hey, you write scripts, don't you? Yeah, when I can. And they go, I got a good idea for a movie. You're like, great. And I say, you should write it. And they go, oh, I'm not a writer. I said, well, I'm, you want me to write your idea? And they say, yeah, it's great. And then they pitch it to you and you go, yeah, okay, I'll think about it. And not to, sometimes, you know, but it's like every idea is an idea for a movie, you know. <laughs> if it's worked on, yeah. And sometimes like, like we were talking about, you beat the dead horse and you walk away. You're like, it's not, you know. Forgive me for this question. What's the stupidest way to write a screenplay? Well, you're talking to someone who's a big fan of the outline, so I would say, and not that the person who does it is stupid. But yeah, those are my words, not yours. Yeah. Your words. My words. Aaron. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, send the letters and cards. Yeah, it'll be, um, yeah. they know the email. It would be just to sit down and say, I got an idea, a half-baked idea that really wasn't thought out. And you can do what you want, which is fine. But I just think, you know, and you may find there's a scene in there that's great and brilliant, but a cohesive through line and all that, it takes time. It takes, it takes work. You know, um, this isn't something that just spills out. Some people say, I can just spill a script out in, in, in a week. Well, that's fantastic. And, and we'll see how good it is. And maybe you can do that. Everybody's got their own way. But uh, there are a lot of pitfalls. In, in that, in, in doing that, you know, with the story and things aren't working. And, and it's just, it's, I hate when I sit there and I write something and I know it's just bad. I, the best times, and you know, we all go through that, but the best times are where it's, I'm, it's like this weird uh, channeling and I can almost, I can see it in my mind's eye and that's going onto the page and I feel good about it because it's like I watched it, I already watched it in the theater. But it hasn't existed yet, except in my head. Going to so it's in a way. When when it's really good, it feels like you're channeling it, and when it's bad, there's something. The channel is not; those waves are not coming through. Not to be like you know, oh, you know, your own new age, up. yeah, dial up versus sure, you know. your own. You're you're tapping into your your creative um, thing, your well, whatever you want to call it, where you go. And it's, 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 you know, the signal's not, and you just write down a scene, you're like, that's gonna have to be rewritten. You know, imagine, now you probably, a person probably wouldn't think that just burning through a script. Oh, this is great. Oh, you know, but you, you, when it's just bad when you're like, that has, oh my God, it's garbage. It's terrible. Like a placeholder instead of the real scene. You know, yeah, okay, well, this is just, this is the bad version, as everyone says. You know, you get that note from people say, "Well, um, here's the bad version," and they tell you it, and you're like, "That's really not that bad." But you know, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. But here's an example of what not to do. You know, the bad version, as as you hear in Hollywood a lot. And I'm like, "Are you ever going to tell me the good version?" And they said, "No, that's for you to figure out." <laughs> like, oh, you're right. You're right. I because I'm the writer. Right. Throw me a lifeline here. You know. <laughs> I'm drowning because I got the bad version that's the real bad version. Is this Sunset Boulevard? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, is it almost similar to the people that in college said, I don't have to study, I just show up for tests? In a way. And there's some that can. I've never met any. But um, yeah, I, especially, especially with the, I think with the, um, with the odds. That there's so many scripts out there and so many good scripts too that I think a lot of times writers don't 
may not see the mountain that they're climbing every day or, or what they're, you know, you're not only up against your own competing with yourself, you know, to be a better writer next time and next time and learn like you should, uh, but also what's actually out there if you want to work in the marketplace type of thing. And I know when you say that, it, when I say that, it sounds very uh, non-romantic, you know, but it's a business, you know, so why not put your best foot forward in creating that, you know, unless you have no, um, if you have a good day job and, and there's no pressure, you know, to, to that this script has to sell, you know, to make your rent or your mortgage payment and you're just like, yeah, I'll dabble in it. But dabbling takes time as well. And so, you know, while you're dabbling, another person is working 24 hours a day and learning the craft and really, you know, pass, they want it more than anything else. And uh, it can be a hobby, it's just fine, you know, but I think there are ways to, to approach a career or a writing career in a certain way. And people can try it however they want. But the, this, you're back to your original question, is just to go, I think I have an idea and not really, whoa, you know, hold on a second, you know. What, what are you doing here with this idea? You know, every idea is a kernel of a premise that builds now, but do we have enough is, you know, type of thing. And not to second guess like what's selling. If it's really a passion idea you wanna write, absolutely. Go, you know, you must do it. But you also, um, yeah. And what about people that say, well, I don't wanna write for TV or I don't wanna write a movie that doesn't have A-list talent in it. And they, they stomp on something because it's not Star Wars. Sure. What do you say to that? They want to be a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. They want to work in the industry, mm -hmm. but oh, no, that's not that's not forty eight hours or you know, I'll pick more. There's some movies. <laughs> sorry, let me pick something in the last few decades. Um, uh, no, I know what you mean. Right? Okay, it's not. It's. But you're saying they stomp on the 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 smaller ideas. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I read a lot of uh, scripts that are big big ideas, you know, big Hollywood ideas, which is fantastic. But the real odds of an unknown, uncredited writer, it, it could happen, it does once in a great, not as much as it used to in the past, you know. Selling that thing, that's the only thing they've written because intellectual property, IP is all the, the rage, you know, it's already been a book, it's been, you know, a comic book, it's been, it's been a sequel, a prequel, you know, Star Wars is a perfect example. We just we just manufacture it until the end, and then we come up with a new series, right? That's all done. We'll veer off on this one, and we'll take that character, and we'll make a whole series on that one. Um, that's a bigger that you're trying to you're trying to hit a home run out of the park, which we all, we all do all the time. But you're I think you're also shrinking your your possibility because they already have the A list writers out there. You know who are filling those jobs, and how does how do they get there? Well, I don't know. Everybody has their own journey. If you trace, um, I was saying a, a writer uh, who's a big TV person now and features started on um, Xena Princess Warrior. Now people would look down and go, Xena, that's a ridiculous, uh, you know, blah blah blah. Everybody starts somewhere. Sure. And was it his heart's desire to work on that show forever? No. But that was a, st a stepping ground. Everybody has that stepping ground. You just don't, 
my experience and the people I've known, you just don't start out at the top. You know, you take the job and you go, yeah, okay, it's not my perfect thing, but I'll now I'll do. You know, it's a step by step process. So um, I would say, in that way, don't step on those little ideas because those are the ones that can be made. You're taking a bigger gamble writing this hundred million dollar script that's locked into that budget. You know, can't be made for less. So then you say, well, where can it be made? I don't know. There's four studios that could possibly do this. Let's say they all pass. Where are you going to go with the script? Somebody's going to shell out $100 million of their own money? I mean, you know what I mean? So the smaller idea, um, smaller in scope, meaning, you know, we're not out to save the universe. The universe could be your own life, you know, your, your little universe uh, could actually be made. $5 million, two, you know, it's not, it's not, um, Glamorous, like like a lot of writers. Well, I'll just sell my script for millions of dollars, and and you think that your life changes overnight. You still have the same problems. You still have the same relationship. You still have. You're still a person. It's just a, it's a job. You know what I mean? It's sort of. And I hate to sort of shrink it down to that, but but it's like, oh, a screenwriter. Yeah, I used to think the same way too in film school. Oh my god, you know, you read the trades, you're like, oh, these. I'm gonna live the life. Live the life, yeah. You're going to be living the life at two in the morning writing the screenplay. That's what it is. It's work. It's not glamour. There's times when uh, you're forgotten about at a screening. Happened. Where they thank everybody. Yeah, bling, bang. And then they thank the craft service and then they go, let's run the film. And you're sitting with the stars and they look at you and you're mortified. You're like, <laughs> And then afterwards, of course, it was, it was just a, it was an oversight. And at the party, it was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Have another martini. You know. I'll call you. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that bad. Oh, but okay. it was just, you know what I mean? It's not all going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're in it for that fame and fortune and fanfare, not the writer. I mean, we made inroads a little more than the past, but it's still, you know, you're still the writer. I mean, it sounds, it's the most, one of the most important people. Because that's where, without the scripts, as they say, there's nothing, right? But, you know, that's why you should like try to be a hyphenate writer producer, you know, writer director or something like that. Eventually, I mean, or start out as that. That's your that's your choice, you know, that's your career direction. But just the writer, it's you know, it's an interesting road. <laughs> What's the difference between a professional level script and one that's written by an amateur? Professional level script can, I would say, compete in the professional marketplace where someone could receive a screenplay and read it and not go, mm, this has too many problems that this person probably isn't. They're not writing at a professional level, meaning that somebody would say, oh my gosh, this, we, we could make this. You know, it's not plagued with the problems I think we spoke about before, about, you know, the, the first time overwriting the script and, and you know the structure doesn't really work and i don't it's confusing and it's not fulfilling the ending doesn't wrap it up you know things if you were to read that and and also as we mentioned before format too you know you look at the script and if it's all over the place where it's kind of clunky and weird and like i've never what is it's going to be it's not professionally written professionally written um How soon into reading a screenplay do you know that it's bad? 
Well, it's, uh, it's usually in the beginning, but many times you're fooled because the beginning is easy to set up. So you're like, oh, this is great. And then the longer it goes on, it runs out of steam. And then it just really is like, okay, um, or, or that it's, it's too long. It's like too many pages and there's a whole nother story and a half there that, that shows that it should, needs to be, have a lot of editing, you know, for, and if it was a first draft, it's a script and a half almost, you know, a script and a third, let's say, which is overwriting. Um, so. So then a reader will know fairly quickly. A reader uh, <laughs> will probably know uh, in the first page or two if, if it's the format giveaway or it's just the style giveaway where it's, you know what I mean? You can tell. I mean, people all the time post one page on the internet, you know, they put up a page of their script and you can see it and go, okay, you know, you can, it, it, it's a giveaway. It's a clear giveaway. Um, or you can see another page and go, wow, you know, it's, it's so clear. Like you're seeing what they meant to, you know, like you're seeing what they're writing, not it bump. And I was that who got out of the car and, you know, it, oh, 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 I, you know, and that goes back to, you know, in a way it goes back to format and how, you know, what you're going to put in and what you're not based upon the story. What do you think about 99% of screenplays being rejected after the first page? Um, I don't know if they're, re well, I, I think they would be read. They're not thrown in the garbage after page one. I think a script is given a chance. I mean, I would hope, you know, from a reader, and then it's the overall feeling of it. But like we were discussing before, if there's too many bumps and, you know, the famous thing is, oh, this bumps for me, you know, it's like, it bumped, okay? It means, I mean, I know what they mean, but it's probably like, boom, you know, it, it sort of bumped in a not a good way where they, it was confusing or the story was like, why did it go that way? And I didn't understand it was this and that. And a lot of times, Sadly, it's because of skimming, you know, where someone just literally, you know, I, I had read one time that some people just read the dialogue or some producer just reads dialogue, he doesn't read the directions, just reads the dialogue, you know, I don't know <laughs> which, you know, that's not really reading the script, but um, I think as we were discussing before, you can tell in the first few pages if it's going to be one of those scripts, or if it's going to be like, wow, this is a page turner. I can already see that. You know, it, it's hard to hide that if you're not writing at a particular level. I mean, so that'll be a dead giveaway, which is not good. So you think, though, people give it more than just a scene? Oh, sure. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. yeah. You know, the old adage is like, well, it doesn't happen within the first 10 pages. It used to be the first 20, but now it's shrunken down. If it doesn't happen, you know, if I'm reading and it doesn't happen for me, I, you know, you sort of have to know what we're getting into. Uh, but again, these aren't rules that not coming from me. I'm just saying sure. um, that some movies like, you know, European films take longer to happen. And, you know, I'm talking about a Hollywood, if you want to work in that system, you know, it better happen. The reader's got to go, 10 pages, I still don't know what's happening. You gotta get an idea like, oh, we see this and that, 
you know, I mean, that's what they're talking about is, is, is happening, you know, and they'll read through the script, no, but if, you, if you're plagued with typos, three or four a page, it means you don't care enough to proofread your script and you don't care about enough for the person who's reading its time. So right away, there's a disrespect there. Like, well, I just gotta, I just wanted to blow through it because, you know, uh, my idea is so good, I don't have to proofread the script. Okay, <laughs> you know, I mean, these are, these are attitudes that um, won't serve you well in the long run. What are your thoughts on Hollywood stealing an unknown writer's idea? Does this happen a lot? I think, I think it happens a lot less than people believe because like my old writing partner and I used to say, we'd make more money off the lawsuit than we would on the screenplay. <laughs> you know, go ahead and steal. And you know, we'd be so pleasure, it'd be such a pleasure for you to steal our idea. That means it's something good, you know. But uh, you writers do, a writer asked me like, okay, um, what's this process of copyright, you know, before I let anybody read it? And I was like, okay, you can copyright the script. It takes a process, it's money and, you know, or you can register at the guild or, you know, some say that even by the mere existence of creating it is a copyright. So there's all sorts of factors, but what I've read is that the copyright would protect you more in court. But the thing with that is that you never own the copyright of a screenplay because the minute you sell it, it becomes a work for hire. So you always have to sign over the, the, the rights to the company. So that, that was given away a long time ago. Um, in, in guild negotiations that the writer never owns the copy out of the script. So you're, it's okay to do that, but uh, when you see uh, on the cover it says, registered WGAW number 1265555, you know, that's just a dead giveaway of like an amateur that's afraid of, of my stuff being stolen, you know what I mean? It, no, no professional writes that on the, on the cover of a script. I think professionals, expect you to do your due diligence and what I think more the more chance of something being stolen is a pitch because that's out in the ether you know like I, I was saying before uh, my writing partner and I would go on these these pitch fests you know that our, their agent would send us on to like 12 companies and we'd do the same pitch around town and at two o'clock we've got with with this person and our manager would ask us, agent and manager go, how did it go? And we'd say, well, it didn't, they didn't, you know, their eyes didn't light up and they go, okay, maybe you should switch it and change this element. So from the afternoon on, we changed a different version of, of the thing. But my point is, it's all a living, breathing thing. And so somebody could wake up the next morning and go, now they might not be the exact pitch, but, they, but let's say an element of it and go, you know what, I have an idea and that works in, what do you do about that? But you can't be, you can't be um, that way where you think everybody's gonna steal your stuff. You know, it's just not, you can be smart and when, when you send out your script, you should keep track in a log or journal uh, or spreadsheet who's reading the script every time out. If, if you don't have an agent or manager who that's their job, you know, obviously they'll know that and it'll be through an official channel. But somebody says, oh yeah, give me the script. I, I work at a company. Okay, that goes down. Who read it? When? Because these are important things to know who you don't want to, to send your, you, don't, you want to know who's reading it. That's important too. Because if it starts getting bad feedback, you never hear about it. And then suddenly things start being like, why, why, why don't I get a meeting with that company? Because people are talking now. You know, in the old days would go in a database and there'd be coverage and the studio would now have the coverage. And you couldn't, you couldn't fool them because they go, oh yeah. 
We read that two years ago. They're trying to pawn that off on us again. You know, so I wouldn't be too fearful of, and there was a few stories about outright theft, but I think it's so, I mean, you can't be afraid to send your stuff out, you know? And, and it's sort of an arrogant idea where it's like, well, my idea is so genius that they're gonna steal it. Like Warner Brothers doesn't have enough amazing ideas already. And yours might be the one they steal, but it'd be a good lawsuit. <laughs> you know? But that being said, though, don't be irresponsible no. sending it out. No. Log, the date, the place. Absolutely. The address even. Oh yeah, no, keep it all because you want to, you want to keep track of who's reading your stuff. You want to keep in control of that. And that's why when writers post their stuff, like a, a script up on their, their webpage, I would say, don't do that. You don't know who's reading it. You don't know who's stealing your ideas, right? You have no way of tracking that. If you're, you're, if you're afraid of that, that's even worse because somebody's just going to your website and I know it's, it's a way to promote your stuff, but that's not the way, you know, to have your full script on, on your, your, um, your website for someone just to read. Who's reading it? You know, that's, you want to keep track of that. What are the best ways to make people read your script? Well, you could put a gun to their head. Okay. <laughs> no. Maybe a softer approach. Yeah, <laughs> softer approach. Um, well, you have to ask who, who, what are we talking about? Industry people or uh, friends and People family? that could actually, well, no. Pe yeah. People that could actually have something done with it or get it to an appropriate person to have something, have it made. Well, before that happens, like we were discussing before, it, it had better be in a professional uh, level of writing and also presentation, sure. execution. And so when you get one chance, um, like I would say, you may have a friend at a company that runs the company, right? And you go, well, I have an in there. Okay, that's great. But when you're going to play that hand of sending that script over, you, you know, it better be ready. You know, you can't play that hand. You should be follow, uh, you know, be very disciplined and, and be patient because sometimes people get excited and they want to play all the hands and it wasn't the script, you know. And then now it's like, I'm your friend, but I also have a business, you know what I mean? So I just can't hire you. I just can't buy your movie. And it's going to be more difficult to go back there um, again. So, uh, you, you know, you don't know if somebody's going to like your script. You, you have to like it. And the way that you make them like it is show that you're passionate about what you're writing and that you've done all those things like proofreading, which sounds simplistic, but it's important. I mean, it's offensive when you, you I'm going to take the time to, you know, you open it up and you're like, oh. you know, and you want to be a writer? You know, you can't... <laughs> You know, there's spell check, you know, uh, there's things like that. Your scripts are all about the tiny details and those are looked over. And so what, what, what attitude is the person reading going to have of you, you know, about being serious, serious meaning you want to be a professional? When you're writing a screenplay, do you ever think about the money you'll make off of it as you're writing it? No, because I already have a contract, so I know. Now a spec, yeah, you can have illusions of grandeur, you know, as much as you want, but after years in the business, you know the realities of like, okay, but no, you shouldn't you shouldn't write from a place of that. You should forget about all that. Like I say, you should do a, the best job ever 
if you're paid 500 bucks or you're paid 5 million bucks. There should be no, no difference in, in your desire because then what are you doing? You're chasing money. There's other businesses to do that that are, that are far more lucrative than spending you know, years of your life toiling away and trying to have that one, this is the one that's gonna do it. You know, so um, no, you should just bathe in the creative process and not, you know, it's when you're writing your specs. When you're writing an assignment, you already have a contract, you know what you're making, so. <laughs> and then it becomes, you know, stressful because you're actually making something. So you're like, oh shoot, this is due when? <sighs> this is better be good, you know. This is what they're paying me for. So that comes on a different level, you know, when you leap over into that other realm of working, like we discussed earlier about um, being creative under a deadline, than just toiling away, you can work. It's great to work when you want, you know, oh, you know my spec, I'm just doing, you know, this and there's no, nobody else, not working with anybody else. There's all my words, which it has to be to get to a certain point, absolutely. But then you step over that line into the other world and it's like, well, we don't like the ending. And then the and it becomes, you know, like they say, filmmaking is a million um, compromises to get something done. And sadly, yeah. But to get something done is amazing. And does that go back to what we're talking about with the Tai Chi or the, the karate example, which is part of it's the physical and part of it's the mental yeah. and maybe that pressure of like, I've got to be creative and I've got a deadline and not, yeah. not cracking under that pressure. Sure. It's uh, a lot of it. I mean, tremendous amount of it is mental, you know, but then those disciplines you can fall back on and on not straight because you can get into this terrible wheel that you're not producing at the best level you can because you're too worried about the other thing. If you just trust yourself and, and dive into the work, you'll get it done. You know, if you're not constantly worried about, well, I got eight days left, you know, just do it. How important is sticking to one genre for a new screenwriter? I personally think it's, you, you eventually have to find what, you know, what you like to write. And some people um, say, well, I like to write horror, I like to write drama, romantic comedy. And that's great. Uh, I'm not sure many people are good at all of that. You know, you sort of gravitate toward what what you dig, you know? It's like, what what I really liked, what movies do I like? And some people are like, I only like romantic comedies, okay. And some are like, I could not write a romantic comedy. So don't write what you don't like, basically. I think William Goldman said it. Um, don't write Annie Hall if you don't like romantic comedies. It's pretty simple. Uh, but you have to test those first scripts or that's what they're for is to try to figure it out. Like, wow, I don't like action movies, you know? I mean, don't, to write them, it's kind of follows this thing and that and now, if you write drama, you know, a lot of most popular movies are hybrid. They're not just one thing. You know, they're um, supernatural, sci-fi, horror. You know, if you, you can find those different elements, those are the most popular films that don't just stick to one thing. You can, you can find multiple uh, genres within the, you know, subgenres in the, in the one genre. But generally, the, the first thing that you sell is probably gonna be the thing you're gonna work at because that's what they're gonna sort of pigeonhole you and know you as a blah, blah, blah. You're, you know, oh, you write drama. So when the agent or managers are sending you out, they're not gonna send you to 
the uh, romantic comedy people because you're not a comedy writer. And you say, well, I can. I can write comedy. Um, you know what I mean? So, but I think you have to find your way and, and not to say you have to stick to one genre. You could be good in, in many, but um, just know that the first thing you sell is probably going to chart your, the way that you're going, you know. Because you always hear that about actors, that they seem to get the same roles because Hollywood likes to kind of... Pigeonhole. You're right, they like yeah. to... But they work all the time. So I would say pigeonholing, not a bad thing, you know, if you, if you want to work. You know, you say, well, I want to break out of that. And some do. You know, some do. Character actors, you know, are sure. great. They, um, but yeah, I think those first specs are ones to figure out, to find your way. Unless you really know, I like these movies. You know, I only write these. I'm not interested. And you can whittle it down, but you can also see that you might write a hybrid. You know, a supernatural horror movie or something like that. You know, where you've got two genres mixed, mixed together. Um, but I don't think if you sell that and it does well, they're going to say, hey, we're going to hire you for a comedy next. And, yeah, really? Do you do comedy? Unless you have one. But would you be working on that simultaneously? You know, I always think writers, writers can write. You know, in the old days in the studio, they would have you on a noir and then next week you'd be on a western, you know, when they have the stable of, of writers like in Sunset Boulevard, you know. And so they would write all different kind of movies. You know, they have the, the, the freedom and ability to do that. And then they're, today they're auteurs who are known for one type of thing, which is great. If you can be that, you know, if you're the working screenwriter, you may fall into a place where you start to work in a genre and you're like, wow, I didn't realize that was my genre now. Not bad. It's okay. You know. What's the biggest screenwriting pitch you've ever gone out on? And what happened? Yeah, there was a, a pitch that I had with my writing partner. We had a lot of pitches. Um, one solo I've been on that haven't been like, you know, oh my God, this is with, it's been with, you know, heads of television or whatever. But I specifically remember one pitch we did and the head of the company was there. The whole strata of people were there. The assistant, the VP, and we went on for way too long. I mean, it was absurd how long the pitch was. They basically told us we saw the whole movie. You know, it was like a 20-minute pitch. And no one stopped us. And we were crazy enough to rather than make it five minutes or, oh, you know, and we walked out of there and our manager said, they're going to they're gonna buy this and blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> something happened where it wasn't, it never materialized. But um, there was another pitch. It wasn't big, but the, the guy made us wait. And he was late. And then we're sitting in the lobby and we see him in the office and he sees us and he like pulls the blinds and we're oh, like, no. that's a good sign. <laughs> Oh and I hadn't, gosh. we had been around and I hadn't had lunch and I was like freaking out. I was like, I got to eat something. So I went in their pantry and I was like ripping open bags of cookies and stuff and OJ, I got to get my blood sugar up, you know. And then he comes out, hey, and he walks us into his room and we're like, whew, okay. He's back in our, you know, and we sit down and what do you got for me? And we go, well, here we go. And, and we always would pitch where... Um, my partner was like P.T. Barnum, you know, and I would fill in the blanks here and there. 
we start to pitch and about 30 seconds into it, he stopped, oh, 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 stop, 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 stop. He goes, it's, 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 it's crap. He goes, it's just, it's, I don't believe any of it. And oh, we were no. like, he's joking. You know, of course he is, right? He was serious. And we both look at each other mortified and we're like, wow, and that, that's never happened. And then he uh, came around from the desk, you know, and leaned on the desk and said, okay, here's the thing. I got an idea from my nephew and he sent me a 10 page email and now he's pitching us. And I've never had it where, where ever, I mean, all, all the pitches in my entire life, so you never know, but they always let you finish. I mean, they'll interrupt you, but they'll let you finish the pitch. He cut us off at the knees and then he pitched us. He twisted around and you think, well, okay, um, maybe that'll be our idea. And he says, what do you think? And we were like, I don't know what to think. I think we got to get out of here, <laughs> you know? So we both left and um, he rode the elevator down with us. Oh, wow. And he said, you need validation? I said, well, I was hoping it was from you, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, I need it for the $18 to park. You know, because you were late 45 minutes with your other meeting. Uh, cookies were great in the pantry, but that doesn't, you know. So uh, he said, all right, you know, go off and blah, blah, blah. And we never saw him again. But so you never know. Pitching is a, is a really mixed bag. And I've also been on a pitch at a, a big production company with the heads of television. And they, I mean, it was out of body experience. I mean, I was almost sitting like, who is this guy? I mean, I was sitting like next to myself watching right. it. Because I, and they were late, which many times, you know, they'll make you wait. They're, you're not, it's like the doctor's office. You're like, it was for 1130. And they're like, I know, but it's 12. And they were, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, would you like some water? No, I'd like scotch, please. <laughs> Excuse me. And then you begin and I was on, you know, and sometimes you know you're just on and you can see it. And the questions that they ask are at the end which is great, they don't interrupt you in the middle. And then your train of thought, you're like, uh, you know, and you're, you know. And the questions were just, um, what city do you see this happening? They weren't like, I didn't get the part about the thing. And you're like, oh no, you know, cause you practice your pitch backwards, forwards before you go. And it's, it's a lot of it's improv too, you know what I mean? And you have to leave those spaces open for them to go, could it be a thing? You, yeah, yeah. That's great. I love that. Oh my gosh. You've made it that much better. Yeah. But you have to leave it open for it to go, you know, certain ways. And I left and they were like, thank you very much. And I called my manager and she was like, oh my God, I wish I could have been there and seen that. I said, it was, it was high. It was, it was a great high walking out of there. Now they didn't buy it, but I pitched at a professional level where that door is completely open. So it's not like, who, that, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? So you, you never know, you're just talking about pitching, it's a mixed bag, but you have to, uh, it really helps to have a writing partner, <laughs> you know, when you, when you both go in, right. except the one guy we wanted to like flip his desk over and go, what, and break the windows and say, I don't, you know, he turned the tables on us for sure. So when you leave a situation like the one that you just mentioned, not not the one where you've, you've had an outer body experience almost, but- Oh, the bad one. The bad one. Yeah. How are you regrouping? Like, how are you saying? Well, at that time we went back to our handler, you know, and said, oh my gosh, and this is like ridiculous. We had such good pitches during the day and that one was just off the, from another planet. I don't know what happened there. And, um, you know, you don't let it rattle you too much. You got to move on and that's not the end all be all. It was just a freaky deaky 
situation, you know. You don't want all of them to be like that. Sure. And I remember another pitch, um, the person was like, you know, almost falling asleep, and that's not good either. But, but you're like, at least you could hide that, you know. I, I know you don't like it, but, and then the minute that we finished, you know, she got up and said, well, thank you very much for coming in. You're like, this is, was just a waste of time with everybody, you know. And you could tell, like they can, you know, you can read. And another one was like, oh, my, uh, <laughs> I just wanted a studio. There were like diapers around the office. So oh, I, my nanny usually has the kid, <laughs> but I had to take, there was like a little, and we're like, yeah, don't be distracted. We're only trying to, you know, pitch for our lives here, you know. <laughs> so it's like, you never know. When you come off of one that was like magical, sure. how soon are you finding out? They're, they're telling you it's a pass right away? Uh, usually they get back to your agent or manager right, you know, shortly thereafter. It's not like weeks after, no. And then they say, yeah, you know, we, we really like uh, what was, they're going to buy it. I mean, out of, sometimes they buy it in the room, you know, it happens. But, but more importantly about that is that you, you show that you have ideas. That you that you you know you have cohesive ideas that can actually like we were saying, what makes something a TV show? Well, you can pitch something. They go, yeah, that's like the stuff we do, you know. And so it's on that level of like, ooh, it's convoluted, it's all over the place. It's not even a good pitch. I, you know, there's so many holes in it. That's what you don't want. So you've done your homework before you ever get there, and then that keeps the door open. And then of course, um, you send a thank you card, which I always say. You know, handwritten thank you card after that, uh, not an email to those people that you met with because they'll get it a week later and they'll, even if they pass, they go, oh, Mark, yeah. You know what? He, because they're busy with a million other pitches, you know, 100 a week or whatever, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, I really liked Mark. You know, that one pitch was, was close. And the closer you get each time, it's a little closer. And maybe the close only is here for a while. And sometimes, the close has actually become something, you know. So even though you didn't get, it's like the one that got away. Yeah, it sounds like you still are left with a feeling of, I almost got there rather than the one where it almost, you feel cheap. Yes. When you leave. Like it's a bad date. Yeah, and just like there was going to be violence. <laughs> I mean, when the guy was like, he came out from around the desk and goes, it's all, yeah, he's yelling at us. We're like. We looked at each other like he's he's got to be joking, and he wasn't. You know, it's one of those right. weird situations. Like, oh yeah, who he's serious? Okay, this train wreck just went off. Is even worse, and now we're left with a, I don't know what we're left with. You know, but what gets you into the pitch is your project. So they have to read something, right? So they read something. They go, oh wow, this is a great pilot. Do you have anything else? I got this other idea. I got two other ideas. Come on in. You know, it's the round robins when you try to. There, you get those fans of your writing, you want that at a lot of different places so that they can be, that door's open. What else do you have? That's why I say for writers that you must have a lot of material, you know, a solid body of work um, that you've worked on that's at a professional level because that script will get you in that company and then they'll, they'll listen to your pitch and then they'll say, we passed, but they won't say it in the room, they passed, but they tell your handler, and they say, what else does Mark have that's similar? Well, he's got another thing. Oh, well, send it right over. So there's your next chance. Now, who knows if it'll sell or not, but you keep that. You can see how you can burn out stuff quickly too, sure. but you need that 
constant um, uh, wheel, you know, turning of creating material. You know, not just the one script because the one script could be a one-off where they go, this is fantastic. You got anything else that you've written? Sure. Well, I'm working on something and I'll be done in six months. <laughs> well, we'll see you. I won't be here. I'll be fired. I'm the executive, you know. But whoever's here, maybe will answer your call or won't. And, you know, so you have to keep that constant. And it would take two or three scripts, I think, whether TV or features, you know. And if you have a little accolade like, whoa, I almost placed in a contest or something, oh, great, you know, rather than I'm just another writer here with a script, please buy it, you know. Did you get any of those? You said you got them through an agent because you had a handler. Yeah, agent and a manager. Mm -hmm. uh, well, at that time, just a manager. What do you think about when you're creating a protagonist versus an antagonist? I try to make a protagonist, um, you know, you, you, you can veer on the side of maybe they're right at the edge of being bad, you know. Bottom line, complex, that's the key. You know, and it can't be just a one-note uh, character. And many different facets. And with those, then, you know, um, you can almost help create the story out of, out of that because, you know, this is that person's past or, you know, this is why they are, are feeling that way or this is what they need. You know, this is their desire. They're trying to find something, you know, on their journey that they have to fulfill. And at the end, hopefully they do. Maybe they won't, you know, type of thing. Uh, but also somebody that we want to follow, you know, so hopefully you look at the best characters in cinema and you're like, wow, you know, I, I like them, you know, I like, I want to spend time and I want to champion their cause, you know, type of thing. So, um, and maybe I could see a little bit of myself in that, in their journey as well. You what, know? Uh, right. What about for the antagonist? Well, they, the, the typical villain, you know, can't be too... Um, cookie cutter either you know sometimes you see it's just like they're all bad you know they have to be you have to also in a way understand like joker you know if you understand not do you have to like them but they just can't come from like bat out of hell crazy place and just they're all evil it all stems from something is it their childhood is it the way something happened you know that 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 helps to be like oh that's a more believable um uh character you know, to go up against. And when um, the antagonist pushes too much the protagonist, then they have to somehow act, you know, like, well, 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 am I gonna, okay, it's, it's go time, you know, and that, that they, they feed on each other. Sure. Um, and sometimes, you know, the bad guy at the end has a redemption, you know, and says, I was bad, you know, uh, type of thing, make it, make it interesting, you know turns around doesn't mean that you forgive them, but you know, on their last breath, I'm sorry, you know, or something. I don't know. And does the good guy always have to win for the story to be fulfilling? I don't think so. I mean, sometimes people, I, I know that's a way when someone would see it and maybe go, ah, oh, I wanted, you know, but you know, life's not always <laughs> that way. It's, it's more in the gray area where you know there's temptation and and um i think those are the most interesting characters that it's not the white knight you know it's it's the wow that's you know that's different you know and uh 
I don't know, you can think of a commercial film where the where that's happened, I'm not sure. Um, oh, where the where the good guy doesn't win? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, commercial. Commercial, I would think Tenda would want that sort of Hollywood ending type thing, you know, but I think films more today, you know, like the bad guy can, uh, the bad character can get away with it. And you're like, that's not right. Well, not everything is fair, you know. <laughs> Did you see Richard Jewell? Oh, not yet. No. Okay, all right. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Um, well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure. Some of the characters, I don't want to. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Some of the characters didn't have a happy ending, but. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's based on a real life you know, story. So right. Parts of it aren't, I know. Yeah. But you're right, yeah, Hollywood ending, I don't know. That's why I would say mm -hmm. we go back to that point about the big movie. If you're writing that big $100 million film, do you think you could have where, you know, the, the protagonist hero doesn't win? I mean, maybe if there's a sequel, um, uh, but if you wrote the smaller film, you know, it'd be more, I'd say unique, but you know what I mean? You could work, maybe you could stretch your, stretch it out a bit more to make it more interesting, you know, you, and you would have the, um, the ability to do that in that world. That's true. And I think art house audiences will be more forgiving if, oh, sure. if the quote unquote bad or good guy doesn't sure. ride off into the sunset. Whereas, yeah. Well, you know, the noirs, the, the, the poor sap that ends up, you know, it's just, that's why one of my friends, I hate those movies. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Sunset Boulevard, he's not going to end well for him. I'm sorry, but that's. We know in the beginning though, it's not going to end. Well. Yeah. yeah. But that's, uh, I like those movies because that's, um, the world's not always, no. you know, there's there's injustice and never gets, and you're like, that's, how do you, do, you know, so th those Very are true. interesting ones, yeah. What's the most amount of time you spent on a screenplay? The most amount of time, um, boy, those are years ago. <laughs> not a lot of time now, but, um, I think it would be my fifth spec and only because I stopped on page 60 and that was because of a personal uh, tragedy and I didn't know if I was going to be able to go back to it because I felt guilty about not uh, going through my grief. Some, someone passed away um, and it took me probably six or eight months of stopped on page 60 to go back and finish that first draft. So I had good momentum and then it was just, you know, I was knocked out um, and just couldn't focus. But that experience uh, worked its way into the script because there was loss in the screenplay as well. Um, so it was really, um, you know, really found its way in there in, in the successive, you know, drafts after that, not in the first obviously because it was only 60 pages, but it was, you know, upon this, the other drafts, it really, you know, so that I think that would have taken the longest time, but I don't, you know, from writing assignments because there, there's a schedule, I really like to get a script done, you know, uh, in, in, in obviously the time that the contract states, but just as in my own spec too, 
I, I don't want to work on it for years. You know, I want to have something available and, and do successive drafts and then have something to be like, okay, this is the one that at least that I can show people. So I would say, um, you know, three pages a day is a feature in, in a month. Easy. It's very doable. Um, and people say, oh, I worked on a script for a year. I don't, and again, you can work on it for a long time without doing pages. You know what I mean? Because you're doing the research, you're doing you know, all these other things to get to that point. That could take time as well. You could spend months, uh, that particular script, I did spend months of research before I even started, you know, because it was a dream. So I had this little, like we were talking about, all I had was a, was a little, like a little scene. And I was like, well, that's interesting. But what, like E.T., what about if someone was left behind? And so started building out characters and story and, you know, it was a historical movie, so there had to be some research done. So, you know, it's not always like, oh, write the script in a month. It could take, like the iceberg, there's a lot of work that has to, under the surface that has to be done. So um, I don't know if I've answered your question. <laughs> when you finish the one uh, screenplay where you stopped at the 60 pages yeah. and something bad happened, yeah. and then there was this guilt, how did you feel once you finished that screenplay? Because you said you took some of that emotion and put it in Well, I, um, I felt it was almost, um, it, that it was almost a, uh, a mission you know, to finish it because uh, the person would have wanted me to do that. And so that helped me get through the guilt of like, well, how could it be writing this script, you know, when this happened and um, someone had passed away. Uh, and uh, so I thought, you know, this person would want me to go back and do that. They wouldn't want me to, honestly, waste my time, but you know what I mean, on this, this thing and so that helped motivate me to go you're okay there's no guilt in finishing this thing you know so yeah because hmm. you never know um you know when you're writing your life can get in the way and does and you know it's this other thing that you do and if it's your vocation you know that you get paid to do it um you know you can't just toss it aside and say oh well i mean you know stuff Stuff happens in life too. Sure. Um, but like we were talking about earlier, but using your personal experiences, you don't want to have to go through that stuff. But if you do, you know, you tap into it. You know, use it. It's re it's real. It's authentic. You know, it's authenticity. Um, actors love that kind of stuff. You know, and so writers should do should as well. The script that you're referring to wasn't that the first screenplay that you sold? It was, yeah. It was a World War II picture called I'll Remember April. And uh, it had bumped, bumped around town for a number of years. And uh, it finally got optioned and then it made. So it was like seven years from the time that I wrote the first draft to uh, first, first day of photography. And not, like I say, not every project is that way. And some never get made. And you never, like I said, like we were talking about earlier, you never know the journey of a project. It could sit around for years on a shelf and then someone discovers it or it could sell tomorrow for big money. You know, there's everything in between. So, um, yeah. 
What did that experience teach you? Because didn't you have a day job or you had another job during that time when you had to? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, during, during those seven years, sure. And I also wrote other specs and, um, uh, you know, the whole, the whole gamut. Uh, what it taught me was that, you know, if, if you really believe in a script, you know, don't, don't give up with it. Now, you have to see the writing on the wall, but this one had almost won the Nickel Fellowship. And I say almost that year they picked the top eight people, you know, out of 3,500, you know, to get the fellowship. And my script was in the top 20. So they actually called me and told me that. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. And so from that, I was, you know, I was able to get some people to read it and this and that. But the, the personal connection I had at the time with this company that was just starting was the way in. It wasn't from an agent. It was is my own networking, so that's also important. That everyone says, "Oh, I'm looking for an agent," you know, and your own networking, I, th I think, is almost more important because it's the face to face. I've got you, and you know, an agent, unless they're just starting, doesn't need a twenty fifth client. In in the way now, some agencies are actually signing with the Writers Guild about you know, about uh, everybody had to fire their agent, you know, who was in, 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 the, in the guild. Um, and some agencies are signing now to say, okay, we're gonna follow the, you know, the rules. Um, but you should be networking. You know, that's the most important thing is to have, because that wasn't sold by an agent. It was my own connection into that company. So that's, that's what I learned as well. Where were you networking? Like what? Like you don't have to name the place, but was it was it kind of an event? It, it was my friend's friend who was in the business. So my friend had said, oh, my friend is an assistant to blah, blah, blah. And they were just starting a brand new company. They already had a company. Cut to a million years later, that assistant became president of that other company. And then he went off and left to have his own company. So you see how... You know what I mean? It moves on. So every assistant is not going to be an assistant forever. You know, they want to look at the Rolodex and, and find that amazing script to bring to their, their producer and say, look what I found. And you want that script to be yours. And you want that assistant to be somebody that you have a contact with because they're going to grow and move into producers and whatnot, you know. And that assistant, because of that script, then as president of the company, hired me again and again and then when he went off to his own, hired me again, you know, so I mean, it, that's how you build that. None of that was from an agent or a manager. Now, they're great to have, but, mm -hmm. but I, I see people, I wrote my script, I got, I got to get, you know, it's like, you should be out networking. You can't, you can't rely upon your career and give it to somebody else. You're the one thinking about it 24 hours a day, you know. Like networking where? Um, you know, around town, like in, in uh, there's there's functions all the time. Um, ISA, International Screenwriting Association, has them. Final Draft has them. Stage 32 has them. Meetups, get-togethers, things like that. Uh, so just, or, or just be out. You know, like you're saying, in Los Angeles, you never know who you're going to run into. And then there's no, there's no studio gate there that says, they're not getting in. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, my friend... Uh, was chatting up someone and they were the assistant to one of the biggest producers in town. Wow. 
Now, nothing happened, but then we, we were talking, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but they could have said, oh, that's an interesting story because they're looking for that interesting story, right? And they want to be the one who brings it to the mucky muck and says, look what I found. Now, they have to read it first. And it has to go through hoops, but, you know, over, I mean, it has to go through um, hurdles, but isn't that much better than, you know, oh, I'm a struggling writer and I, you know, here's my stuff and the agent or agency gets back to you six months later. You know, I mean, it, it, those, those can get you to different levels, absolutely necessary. But my point is, don't think that's the end all be all. Those will come when you're ready. That's the thing. They'll come when you're ready. They won't come when you just finish your first screenplay and let's just, the most amazing thing, you know, and then there already has bids on it and, and stuff like that, you know. So don't stress about getting representation right away. That only comes, plus you have to be a workhorse. If an agent's going to take you on or a manager, they want to see that you're working. Like, okay, you got this. This is good. We need to work and change. What do you, you got another? Then what else are you working on? You have to be working, not just the one script. Throw it in the ring and go, am I done? No, you're not done. It's just the beginning. Do you think desperation um, scares a lot of would-be deals away? Yeah. You, you, um, they can sense a desperate writer a million miles away when you're like, uh, you know, the best place to be is where you don't need it, where your life doesn't... Uh, rest upon this 100 pages you know uh that's you know that's where it's and plus the desperation can work into your writing too you know so no it's and it's hard you know desperation and fear and those all things you gotta you know you gotta constantly keep in check when you are selling a screenplay what are different types of deals you may encounter well there's the uh the option agreement, you know, which is to shop the material. So they're not buying the script. I mean, there's provisions for purchase of it, but it's an option, which means they have the rights for, let's say, three to six months, and they can have you do work on it or possibly somebody else, but they're, they're optioning the rights, and you have to be, uh, I say careful, but it's going to take it off the market, you know, obviously because they're paying you. Now, my first, my first script sale, the spec, was optioned three times in a row. So, and I was doing all the rewrites, which is good. So they'd optioned it for a number of, uh, for quite a while, six months at a time. And this allows them to uh, find financing and that may fall through so they don't want to let the project go and also have their imprint on it. You know what I mean? So when it came time to execute the option, that means they had to purchase the script, and that was all in, in, in the contract. Um, so, and then there's also the, um, the outright purchase of the screenplay, you know, and then you're usually given uh, a chance to rewrite it uh, one draft and with notes, you know, with a, with a polish, and then if it doesn't quite uh, gel, then there's a provision for you to be let go and somebody else can be brought on. Uh, and then it's always, Every time it's a step deal, so there's steps, you know, money to start. So when you read in the trades that the script sold for a million dollars, they didn't hand over a million dollars. It's only if the movie gets made does all the money get paid. So it all sounds great, but you know, you, you get money up front to start, 
and let's say you have to do the outline or treatment, you get money for that to start and turn in. So there's, there's steps, then rewrites. And so the first draft, you know, if you're doing an assignment, it's the same thing. Uh, money to write the first draft, money when you turn it in. So it all goes by steps. And then there are provisions in each step for how long it takes to read it and also how long that you're given to, to write it. I mean, after you write it, how long that they, you know, there's responsibilities on both sides. Your responsibility to write it and the producer's responsibility to read it in a timely fashion. So meaning that, you know, they can't go away for six months and then suddenly get back to you. You know what I mean? Um, so those are traditionally the type of, of working contracts. What do you wish you'd known before starting down the screenwriting path? <laughs> I uh, wish I had known how difficult it would be and how much of my life uh, would, my choice, not complaining, would be given up for it and uh, wouldn't have it any other way. I could change a few things in the past, but that's only because of lack of experience and knowledge that you have now. You can only look back and say, oh, I would never have done that, or boy, did I blow that opportunity, you know, uh, which in, in my book, I, I, I have those um, kind of stories and also disciplines about that. Um, and, you know, you never, even whatever level you get to, you still make mistakes and you still go, well, I, you know, I shouldn't have done that, or but you hopefully make fewer of them. Uh, but just to realize how, I mean, out of film school, you know, the spec was crazy money was going for specs and we all thought we would just, you know, write a good spec and have a career, you know, and some did. And, but the, the amount of time it takes and how it can affect your life, you know, the pursuit of this, uh, like I was thinking recently that I don't know if I would today, if I was 11 years old, that I would go, hmm, you know, um, but see, I can't say because I only have hindsight, but I don't know if I would pursue it today. Um, you know, the business constantly evolves and changes. And I always say, wow, I wish I had worked in the 40s as a writer, you know, it would have been, you know, of course, um, like in the one movie, everybody's looking back at a different era with romanticized, oh, the 40s weren't it, you should have been a writer in the 30s. <laughs> the 30s, well, pretty much before then, movies weren't around, you know, the 20s, okay, but you know, and then authors were the big thing, you know. So we always look back, but the, the main thing I think was, um, which I tell writers today, you know, this is gonna be a long haul. You don't think it is for you, I, I, know, it, I know you don't, you're gonna be different, and you could be, but it's gonna be a long haul, it is for everybody. If you, if you talk to anybody and you know on your videos that you interview everybody, everybody has a different story of how they, and I don't like to say make it, because you never make it in my opinion. You're, we're always looking for our next job. You know, we are, as writers. You're on a TV show, the show ends. You get residuals, great, but you gotta get your next gig. You're always gigging, you're always looking for, you know, unless you um, have your own production company and a funnel of money, then you can call all the shots. But you're always looking for your next job. So making it is getting your next job. And the first one I always say is the hardest, but the second one's pretty, pretty difficult too. And then your third, and then your fourth and fifth, and you're like, oh wow. And they're not always in, in sequence, meaning they don't, they don't always come right after each other. There are periods that are dry 
and not for lack of trying. It's just the nature of the beast, of the business. There'll be slow periods and there'll be, oh my gosh, I've got so much work, I don't even know what to do. You know, and everyone, everyone's journey is gonna be different of how they break in. And so I was saying earlier about networking, you know, extremely important about getting, getting those relationships and not, and, and not just being, um, you know, oh, you're my contact, I expect you to help me. Be a good contact. Help people out if you can, you know. I've done it so many times when somebody, I see a job, they didn't know, I call, hey, you better call so-and-so, they've got a, they got the job. Now they say, oh, it's because of you. I go, no, it's because of you, but I just happened to see that opportunity and tell you about it, you know. And people remember that. They remember completely for years and years that, you know, my a friend of mine still to this day says, you got me five years on a TV show. I said, ah, it wasn't me. He goes, no, no, if you, and he knew, he knew the producer anyway, but he wasn't in the right time, right place. And all I did is bring it up at a dinner and I said, well, what's going on? I said, well, he's actually looking for work. Really? Why don't you have him give me a call? It was that easy or it's that difficult. If you're not at that dinner, somebody else is gonna get that job. Now, of course, he has the experience and all that stuff. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about the absolute weird, you know, somebody leaves home and, you know, at nine o'clock and if they left at 9.30, the bus wouldn't have hit them. We don't know about it. It's weird stuff going on, you know. So, yeah. Even if you were able to look back at age 11 or whenever it was, let's suppose you chose a different route and that was to be, you know, have your own carpet cleaning business <laughs> and you were the best carpet cleaner in all of your, you know, the, the tri-city area. Oh, yeah. Do you think that you'd be standing in that same spot saying, I don't know, this was real, much harder than I thought? Don't, don't, do you think that for every profession somebody goes to or any, any endeavor that most people say the same thing? That it was much harder than I thought? Yes, but I think the film business even more so because I don't love the carpet cleaning business, but no, you know, I don't know how 50,000 scripts a year are bouncing around it. You know what I mean? Everybody's trying to do the same thing, at least in, in LA. Uh, many people are, and, and across the, the world, everywhere, because you know, everybody wants to be a filmmaker. You know, suddenly they say, oh, everybody wants to be a filmmaker. Really? Oh, okay. Like, great. When I was 11, not everybody wanted to be a filmmaker. You know, we, we had our little weird click you know, of maybe five of us, but we were looked upon as you know, the film nerds, like film, you know, uh, you know what I mean? So, um, it's the democratization of filmmaking because it's accessible to everybody. So we all can try it. That's absolutely great. Um, but then you learn if you really have a passion for it and you can, but then there's that other thing about getting a job. You know, you can make your own movie. That's fantastic. But some, you have to, you know, people make movies and it's on Amazon and that's fine. And I don't know how many clicks it gets, you know, if you want a wide range of something, you know, it depends on how how you set your goals and, and a lot of times as the more you you know you get knocked around in the business uh, many times your what's your vision of what it was changes just by the fact of you know you get older you know and you start to be like wow okay well I wanted to hit for that you know this and you go I'm okay with this you know you know what I mean things change from what you originally thought at 11 but you got to keep that 
wide-eyed dreamer alive. Otherwise, it's all gone. So that, that 11-year-old kid is still in here somewhere, even though the, the jaded uh, person is, you know. Uh, but you got to keep that inside of you because that what keeps you going. You know, like, like we were talking about going to a movie theater and the popcorn and the lights go down and you're like, take me. And, and you're like, the magic of cinema, the movies, you know, and, and that's just what I, it, it just clicked with me. It wasn't carpet cleaning. It wasn't being a lawyer. It was, that's what I want to do. And thank God I had a friend who got a camera. And maybe I would have, you know, eventually I got one of my own, but that spark sort of clicked at the same time. You know, so who knows? I mean, who's to say? And I had very supportive parents. That's also important. You know, who said, go for it. You know, we never got to do what we wanted and it's going to be tough, but we'll be here to, you know, to back you up. And that, that helps to have someone in your corner who believes in you rather than, you know, has the, the doubts and, you know, whispers in you. Oh, what do you think? You're going to sell something? Yeah, you're right. All right, I might as well give it up now. You know, get a refund for that software, you know. You think jaded is being, and I'm not saying you're jaded. I'm not jaded. Saying, I was but, joking. But, but, but there is a level that's needed, don't you think? To a self-protective layer? Sure, absolutely. And it only comes from getting, like I say, knocked around. Uh, so the wide-eyed kid on one side and the, you know, the boxer on the other going, I'm going to, you know, because I've been down that road before, I've been in that situation, I was taken advantage of because I allowed it because I didn't, I wasn't smart enough. Not smart enough, but I didn't have the information I needed to say no. And no is an okay thing to say when you say, this isn't for me. You're dangling, you know, uh, carrots and riches and it's, I'm walking away. And I did to a certain extent with that spec, a company wanted to buy it outright and, you know, to tell me to walk away. And, uh, you know, I needed the money at the time. Sure, it would have been, it's not, you know, life-changing money. If it was, uh, who's to say? But it was sort of like, yeah, okay. I can make that in, you know, how many months doing my waiting job, you know. But I wasn't going to walk away. I said, this doesn't feel right for me. I'm going to just, I'm going to just take this back. And, you know, someday somebody will find it. And they did. And it happens and, and it doesn't happen. But there's no guarantees in this business. But the only guarantee, as I always say, is the mantra, is that if you, if you stop writing, you're really guaranteed to have no chance at success. So you can only look in the mirror and complain um, to yourself if you're not doing the work. And you, know, you can blame Hollywood, you can blame your agents, you can blame, you know, I'm a victim, blah, blah, blah. No, if you're not doing the work, then you only have yourself to blame. And the minute you stop doing the work, then you're out of the game. You're in the game, doesn't mean if you sold something or not, as long as you're writing screenplays and you've got a, you've got a, a cohesive plan and you've got a schedule. I was reading something recently, a writer said, yeah, I I've, I've do three scripts a year. I'm like, that's great. I did three last year, assignments, but, um, and you know, tried to work on a spec, but okay. But if you have a plan of what you're gonna do, not just not have a plan and kind of wing it, Time goes by so fast, you know. You turn around and it's five years, and you're like, "Oh wow, what 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 happened?" You know, every year reevaluate. I'm on my blog. I have a year-end checklist. It has seven points, and it says, 
reevaluate the last year. Don't beat yourself up, but learn from it. What, do you, what, what did you excel in? What did you fail in? You know, where, where, where's your strengths and weaknesses like we were talking about for writers? What do you have to improve on? You know, take it seriously, not just, oh, I'm going to write a script, you know, because it's you, it's you incorporated. You know, there's no one out there, there's no one out there pushing you. And, and we all decided to go down this journey. No one forced any of us, you know, so you have to take responsibility for yourself and also, um, you know, your career plans of what, what, you know, your, what you're going to do, you know. Do you write down all of some of the things that you thought you could improve on or you just put that out there like for, for 2019, the end, mm -hmm. did you put down specific things that you? Oh, in the blog? Mm -hmm. Yes. You did. Okay. What were some of those things that you um, either could have done better or that you were really happy that you did? Well, uh, you know, what projects did you work on? What, what did you have in your arsenal? Was it scripts? Was it TV pilots? Was it pitches? Was it outlines? You know, in your in your folder of wherever wherever it is in your computer, um, what's in your arsenal? What do you got? You know, and what are you working on? And what's going to be finished first? And what do you think? You know, you got to strategize. And what are you going to do with that script? What are your plans? I'm going to enter Nickel Fellowship. Great. I'm going to do this and that. Fantastic. I've got a, a contact at blah blah blah. You know. So now you have a you have a goal and you set set those those goals and okay where did you fail what did you make mistakes on okay I, I sent this script out too early you know they gave me horrendous notes you know uh, or I, I had it I failed I didn't get in this festival or whatever that's again festivals are a whole other story but um, you can't look at it as failure if you didn't win a festival but I'm just saying things that you failures that you would uh, you expected to happen in a positive manner that didn't. That's what I mean about that. Or, or outright failures. They rejected the script and said it was horrible. You know, um, things, things of those, that nature. And, um, and then you know, with networking, who did I meet? You know, keep, keep a log of that and, and follow up. New, Year, New Year's was a great, is a great time to send out that email. Hey, you know, always look for a reason. Not just a cold call email to somebody you may have met. It's like, hey, I just want to wish you Happy New Year. I just, I hope your project's doing well. I happen to be working on this and blah, blah, blah. You know, things like that of that nature. Um, cards are old school, but they're a great way. Again, if you get that card, you know, the, uh, I was told that the assistants put the handwritten cards on top of the mail. So when the mail comes in, the handwritten stuff's on top. So whose card is going to be there? Hey, Happy New Year. And you're like, hey. Hey, remember that Mark guy? You know? And th yeah, see, there he that's, is. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> that's my ride. <laughs> I know. It's taking you to the studio. Exactly. Right now. <laughs> um, so, you know, you remember that Mark guy? Yeah, you know, it puts you back on the radar. And it's old school. The email is like so cold and, and you know. Um, so, various things like that where you, you look over the past year and analyze it honestly. And, and then, what are you going to do this year? You know, what do you have plans? I mean, the year goes by fast, so what are you doing? You know, instead of like, well, you know, I set up a, set up a schedule. I want to finish the script by March 1st, and damn it if I'm not going to meet that. And I, and I only have to do two pages a day. Great. Rain or shine. Just like talking about studying martial arts, rain or shine. My, uh, my Sifu says, did you study today? I said, yes. Okay. Don't, and boy, do, 
talk about procrastination, it's like, yeah, it's late. You know, you know. Last night I, I did my my training, um, and I didn't want to, but it becomes ingrained, where then you do want to, and then when you see results of that, you want to even more because nothing's done if you don't do it. I mean, it sounds so simple, but same way with writing. You know, so by March 1st, I don't want to hear somebody who committed to that, made a self-commitment to themselves, which is the worst thing for me to break, a commitment to myself, because you know, I don't like to do it to others, but to yourself. Um, and you you and unless something terrible comes up, right? But you finish it by March, you're like, damn, I can hit a deadline. You know. And I'm not expecting it to be amazing, but I got a first draft done. And now what are you gonna do with it? I'm gonna go through the thing and you know, you know what I mean? So uh, it's just being aware of just not like treating it like a business almost, you know, of like we have to have plans for this thing that's you, the screenwriter, to get you to these different levels. So would you say that you are a working screenwriter seven days a week in terms of you work on your career in one fashion or, or something. Another. I say screenwriters don't get weekends off, and this weekend will be exactly the case because today, before I came, I got notes again from a polish of a, a script I've been, you know, I wrote on assignment, and um, you know, I want to turn it around as fast as possible because um, I want the thing made, and so you know um, and there's sometimes but something in my life always has to do with screenwriting you know I, something always is something you, you can't just uh, there are times when I can, can be away from it but then I start getting antsy you know because I like to work <laughs> and I like to create so um, yeah it's a big it's a big part which is the way I've planned it you know I want it to be a big part of what I do so yeah Mark, you added off camera some interesting tidbit about writers that you were maybe surprised by. Yeah, sometimes um, when I consult, I find that a writer is not able to, upon a second read, um, execute those notes, you know, to make the draft like that much better or say, well, this part wasn't working. And then it comes back and it's still not working, you know, and that's gonna be a problem in one's career if you can't execute notes, if you want to stay on. The idea is to stay on a project and not get fired, uh, not just sell a script, you know, because it's going to look bad if, if they take you off the project. And um, yeah, you might share credit, but you'll be known as like, you know, you probably might not work with that producer again because you couldn't execute the notes. You want to be the only person on that, you know, and it happens. There are other people that come in, you know, and I've been on the other side where um, you know, I was hired to rewrite a script because the writer was given many chances to do notes and it just wasn't working. And so traditionally what they do, I mean, they tend to say, thank you very much, but we got to get somebody in here because we're not going to trash the project. We're still going to make it, but it's not moving where we need it to move. You know, So I think that's very important is to is to be able to rewrite the script. And I think that comes from a place of knowing structure, knowing all the elements that it takes to write a screenplay. And many times, like with a script, I had to dismantle it to its essence and then start again. You know, like tear the house down, but leave the bathroom. I'm like, okay, but it's still gonna be a house. 
and we still want it to be, you know, Mediterranean style, you know, with eight bedrooms. You're like, got it, but all this other stuff is not working. And, uh, you know, like, like I was telling you off camera about, um, I just finished a polish, um, and then I got notes this morning. And it's a polish, so it's going through and refining, you know, you know, stuff. It's not like dismantling, you know, it's switching things around and it's maybe hopefully three or four days of work, maybe five, you know, it's but it's not a huge, you know, you want to get to that point if you do a polish, then you're like, oh, okay, most of it's settled, but this has to be, you know, raised in this scene, you know, it's too subtle, you know, things like that. Or uh in this case, you know, for reasons of production. So you go back through and you polish it because, you know, we want to cut down the number of scenes. We want to streamline this aspect, things like that. But you have to be able to do that uh, on your own screenplay, you know, if you want to stay uh, on the project. You know, executing notes is extremely important. Do you think that the reason screenwriters or, or maybe new screenwriters aren't successful at that is a resistance? Or they don't understand it and they're not trying to be difficult. They just can't see outside of their yeah. own idea I think it's, for I think it's uh, more that uh, than resistance. Uh, could be a little resistance because my words, my vision, you know, and then you quickly learn like, well, it, it started to be your words and vision and <laughs> now it's a rewrite, you know, and hopefully a lot of it stays, but it's a collaborative art form and you want to be a team player to uh, you know, work once, you know, like I say, with my producer and directors I work with, you know, my once the script is now in the development process, my job is to help get it made, you know, and then uh, there are things that, like I say before, you know, you fight for if you really believe in a change, and you'll talk respectfully and maturely and say um, because you're talking to other uh, creative people who, who aren't out to like make a bad movie. Per se, uh, sometimes it happens, but you say, "Well, I don't think this will really work because of this reason." And as long as you defend it, you know, with, with concrete evidence, and then you can convince uh, uh, to, to keep it unchanged. But you also have to be open. And more times than not, uh, thank goodness there's a producer to guide it because, you know, I <laughs> some of my choices are like, "Oh, I get why you're doing that." Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that actually, actually, that's better. So it's not about who thought of what, because you're all in. You're all in it together. You know, you put the ego aside, and it becomes like let's just all work together to get the movie made. You know, the best version possible. But back to your point about, I do think it's just um, lack of experience, possibly, where someone has never received notes, maybe. They never had a critique on their script, so they wouldn't know how to go back in and make those changes. So that rewriting is a good way, uh, you know, rewriting your bad scripts, rewriting your good ones is a good way to gain that experience over multiple drafts and, you know, multiple screenplays to be like, oh, okay, I, I know what you're talking about. But then you'll get into a situation where many producers are vague, you know what I mean? And so there's no school to go to where a producer, you know, each, like I said before, each screenplay is a different experience out of the gate. Different producer, different working experience. And um, one producer I worked with, I you know I tried to capture 
what he was saying and I felt bad if I went, oh, you know, I don't quite understand because then it makes me look like, well, what do you mean you don't understand? We hire, oh, uh-oh. And then I start feeling like, oh, well, huh? you know, but it was all over, Pew! bouncing all over the map, big, broad ideas that were changed on the fly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, I, did we go with this one or the other one? You know, so you have to be available, ready for that, you know. So, um, yeah, there's all sorts of situations, but um, execution of the notes, I, I just always have to say, is extremely important. Yeah, that was my next question that you already went there, but that was what if it's not to, to let the writer off the hook, but sure. the, the, the notes that are being given are not clear. And so then the writer is fighting against that or not, but just, or not even fighting, but just trying to understand. Sometimes you'll have maybe the assistant you can go off to and, you know, because you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing, you know, and talk to them. And they'll be more than happy to be, oh, you know, uh, I'm speaking on behalf of whatever. Um, but I've been lucky that, that um, people I've worked with are like razor sharp, you know, like, okay, page 48. You know, and I love those kind of notes. I don't like the broad stroke notes because it leaves it up to you. And then you go this way with it. And they're like, I wanted you to paint this way with a twist. You're like, okay. So, uh, you know, and then it gets bogged down in development hell. And no one's ever going to say that it's their fault. You know, they're going to, you're not working. You know, it's not working. And you just, oh, okay. All right. So. Of the SAG screeners that you saw, or of some of the screeners or the films that you saw for 2019, what was the best script? What was the best writing of all of the films? Mm. Well, I saw, um, well, it's, you know, it's funny because it's a script, you know, I, I look at, I, the scripts are available, so when you see the movie, I always look at the screenplay. And like Jojo Rabbit was literally on the page. And oh. some scripts you read, because you don't know what draft you're getting, if it's a production draft or it was the final final, you know what I mean? And it was like, oh, that's, because you, I always love to do that from years back, is to see a movie, you don't want to read the script before because it'll ruin it, see the movie and then go back to see like, oh, how would I have written that scene? And there's a particular scene, I won't say it in there, and I was like, hmm, and I looked and it was exactly, you know, we're not showing what we're not showing, and it was written on the page. And I was like, "Wow, that's that's you know, that's that's a good um, that's a good thing for writers to do as well, you know, and, and to read. You have to read all the time, you know, screenplays. And um, just I always say, be careful of the ones in award season because they're in a protected bubble, so they're not specs. So you can get away with a lot more because." you know, it's, it is in development, you know what I'm saying? Then your spec, I'm saying with regards to format and things like that, because they can, you can do what you want because we're all, we're on this protected bubble now. It's not a spec where I don't know you. I'm just, I can only know you from what's on this page. You know what I mean? So I see some writers want to try to emulate certain styles. You know what I mean? But I just say, be careful because those are either the directors writing the script for the screen and can put a lot more things in the script than, let's say, maybe a spec would or should. What about dialogue of the 2019 contenders that you watched? Who had the best dialogue? And what, what was I, so it's great? It's funny, um, uh, Parasite, you know, was talking about don't be afraid of the inch and a half, you know, subtitles. And I, I've always loved foreign films, so I have no problem with subtitles. 
Um, but uh, yeah, they all, I mean, once upon a time, the dialogue, you know, was was really good. I mean, Tarantino. Um, but I mean, they're all there for a reason, these movies. You know what I mean? There's there's some that didn't get nominated and it was the snub and, you know, but we all, we all should um, champion a year of great filmmaking, you know, rather than, oh, who didn't get the award or who wasn't nominated? You know, we have such a... A wide choice of stories and things now to to you know it's gotten so much better um, because everybody's a game you know the game goes up you know what I mean and you can see like well that's not you know and who benefits but the filmmakers and also the the viewers you know I really like Bruce Dern's dialogue in Once Upon a yeah. Time in Hollywood that was really funny that was supposed to be uh, Burt Reynolds to play that part ah yeah he passed away unfortunately. Oh. So yeah, it's just interesting how that would have made a different type of character. You know, it's I don't true. know because Bruce Dern can kind of uh, disappear into a character, and Burt was a great actor, I think, but he's still Burt Reynolds. Sure. You know, so how do you get around for that? And the last movie that he was in, I, I saw was the what was it called? Um, it was his last film before he passed away. Mm. It was great. He played a, a, a aging film star who goes to a film festival. Um, I think it's called The Last Movie Star. Okay. Possibly, yeah. Does a screenwriter have to live in Los Angeles? Preferably no, but, <laughs> but um, it helps you know, tremendously to live in Los Angeles, to be around the business. There's no doubt about it. Uh, like we were talking about late, earlier, you could be out anywhere and run into somebody. You know, not that it's your choice of networking, but you're around it. There's so many, any night there's a screening there's um, academy screenings. There's Writers Guild special things where you can meet the filmmaker. And uh, American Cinematheque has them all the time. The filmmakers there. You can ask questions. You know to to learn and study. And you don't get that in smaller places or places that aren't Hollywood. You know. Um, and now you can work it. But let's say you get a meeting. You're going to have to fly in. And that meeting could end up being just a general meeting. That yeah, you drive to. Pasadena for, you know, 28 miles, but you're going to fly across the country and it could end up, you know, and you want to maybe schedule a, a few of them, but you know what I mean? It's sort of, it's, it's not, um, it's not impossible. So no one should say, well, I don't live in Hollywood. I won't be a screenwriter. A lot of people live outside of Hollywood, but you're going to have to throw your stuff into the ring and uh, come out for meetings and have that expense, be able to get off from work, these type of things. And, and traditionally, um, I don't know what town size that somebody might be in, but you're not running in those circles where somebody says, hey, come to this party or I got this screening, you know, to meet people, you know, to put it out there. Uh, or, or the festivals that, that are here all the time, you know, you can, enter, you can enter your film, obviously, from elsewhere, but to go to them, and network, you know, and stuff like that. So um, it's not impossible, but there's so much here if you work it. You know what I mean? If you, yeah. What about not knowing the temperament is the wrong word? Sort of having a pulse on, I know it's such a cliche term, having a pulse on the industry. Mm. But really, there is a different way of working. 
in LA. And just because somebody says, great, we'll be in touch, it, it doesn't mean that, where it might mean that more in the Midwest, where people oh, sure. might yes. be more apt to keep their word. and Or I'll read your screenplay. <laughs> okay, right. So, so kind Six of- Six months later. And, and knowing that actually two years later, they could actually call you. So you don't want to get mad and shoot an email mm -hmm. and say, oh, yeah. how dare, you know. No, so there is like this different protocol here. And, and if you don't live here and you're around different surroundings where things may mean what they mean. Right. Then you hold them to a higher standard, which they, they don't. They go, we, what did you mean you believe to me? Well, I believe a person <laughs> of their word. You expect me to be that way. Well, forget it, Jake. It's Hollywood. You know. Well, sometimes they keep their word. It's mm -hmm. just several years later. Yes. It just takes longer, right. of course. Yeah. And, and so the natural inclination would be to be hurt or angry and... But really, if you just kept that door open, it could actually happen. Yes. Yeah, you don't want to burn any bridge ever. Right, right. Yeah. But I, maybe people don't understand that there is like a different way. Yeah, they'll, they'll learn quickly if they mm -hmm. if they come out here, you know, and, and and you know, go, wow, this is I have to change my, you know, the way I deal with people. Well, I wouldn't change myself. I would still be that person who you are. I don't, you know, drop to that. But it would be frustrating when no one else, like you were saying, is is plays that way. They play with their own rules. Sure. Yeah. Or you could be someone you wouldn't hear from someone for a very long time, and then the next thing you know, now you're always hearing from them. Yeah. That, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Feast or famine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. So, so from just visiting here, I don't think you would get that. No, you wouldn't just to come out for a meeting. You'd be wined and dined, and or maybe not. Maybe it's just a general meeting. You know, sometimes oh. a meeting's just a meeting. Get a soda. Um, yeah, yeah. Cigars, just a cigar. <laughs> um, people online, are, oh, I got a meeting. You know, blah blah blah, and they boast about. Okay, that's great. Um, but what happens when I've been to a million general meetings myself, and they just want to meet you and say, "Glad to meet you." And that's great, but it doesn't mean, you know, I, I used to love to have, oh my God, I got a meeting, <sighs> you know, because the potentiality of the whole thing, you know, and you, <laughs> then you learn some people's job is just to take a meeting. They want to have a face with a name and that's it. And maybe if you've got a product and you can show them a script, that's something great, um, but it doesn't mean they're going to buy it tomorrow, but you, you build on that, you know, you build, build, build over a number of years, you know, um, so then but, being, oh, sorry. So then being here, it's not just the cost of going to a meeting and getting off work and being no, spot. It's also it's, knowing how things work and what a word and being, really means. And being uh, in a way in front of them more than out somewhere where, you know what I mean? You could potentially, I don't know, say, you know if, if I disappear, you're off my radar. I mean, you could, there's still email, yes, but I'm saying that face-to-face, -face, like, and then what about the last-minute meeting that came up? You're not going to be able to get a plane flight, uh, red-eye to fly out, you know what I mean? So if things bob and switch, you can tomorrow go, oh, my God, I can, I can go to Warner Brothers. It just opened up, or, or the, you know what I mean? So, you know, but don't leave your family and your job and say, I'm all in, you know, because it's going to be rough. You know, unless there's a guaranteed like they're flying you out, you know, type of thing. You know, it's it's a done deal. They're buying the script, you know. But I just think living here it puts you around it all the time. If if that's on your if that's what you want to do, you know. What about jinxing something 
By saying, guess what, I got this meeting, or guess what, I got oh, this Oh, of course, location. all the time. That's why I tell, I have a blog article about, you know, keep your, like in poker, you know, have your, don't spread it out there because many times it's going to bomb and then what do you, you know, it's going to look like, yeah, you know, you're boasting about this meeting, it could be it, and you're let down um, in front of everybody else, you know, your, your failures, which is fine, but you don't want to present that too much. You know, it's a private thing. You just say, yeah, I'm working on it. You know, I got some meetings and it looks good, you know. Because a lot of energy is spent and I understand the anticipation, the excitement of it, you know. You want to share that. But it's also a big fall, you know. They're going to make the movie. Well, not until the check clears. You know, I've been to many, many times and the head of production goes, oh, we'll be shooting in, you know, six weeks and it's seven weeks. What's going on, you know. If I told everybody... You know, oh, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do that. You know, be a high, big fall. You know, so it's a lot easier to blow just to be sort of even keel. Not these too hard to, to over the long haul to have these big ups and downs. It's just the middle. The middle area is the best place to be. What's the best screenplay you've ever read? Boof. I've read quite a few good ones. I actually. I'm not gonna name his name, but a close friend of mine. I read his script, and it was, it was like I was re I was seeing the movie. I mean, no, I'm not kidding. I saw the movie. I mean, sometimes you read a script, and you you have to conjure up. This was, it was seeing the movie on the page, which you hear and you you don't see a lot or read a lot, and um, it's one to be studied by me as well because it was like, wow, he really worked a long time on it as well. Um, but that was one um, recently that I read was just, you know, off the charts type of thing. And you, you, you try and strive to be, you know, to try to get to that point, obviously. And that's what rewriting does, you know, to try to whittle it down to its most effective uh, uh, way of what you're trying to do, you know, trying to present your story. How many people had seen his script, had read it? To get um, it to that stage? Well, it was a uh, spec, but it was, um, it hadn't been made, but it was a, you know, professional, this is from a professional, you know, screenwriter. Um, so it um, still to this day hasn't been made, but doesn't mean, you know, it's just sometimes it happens. Were you the only person to oh, no, no. it? Oh, no, 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 no. I had gotten a copy later. I had no input on or anything, but I was just, I got a copy to read. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, whoa, you know. Do you know how many uh, eyeballs saw the... No, it had, I mean, it had, it had been around to like real actors, you know, considering to be in it type of thing. And I can see why. Wow. Because of how good it was, you know. Interesting. Yeah. And how long did it take for him to write it? To that I don't know. It? Oh, okay. I'm not sure. But I know that wasn't the first draft. <laughs> Back to our point about, you know, first drafts, oh my God. Like, yeah, great, great starting point, you know. Did he outline? Um, I, I'm sure he did because um, he had told me on his uh, recent film, he, big studio picture, he had outlined, I mean, have to, but it was like 50 page outline. So, I mean, imagine that when people are like, I don't wanna outline, try 50 pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. We're talking because it needs to be that before you even get to, you know, stuff. So by that you'd be you've worked out, you know, it's just now write the script. Pleasurable experience.
So that's almost like Half. two minutes. Like I'm trying to think of like what, how does that break down time wise? Yeah, like, I don't know. You're right. Two minutes page. a page or something or yeah. But it may not be because you never, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, apparently this could be two minutes of screen time. Who knows? I mean. That's true. Why would a writer stop writing? Writer would stop writing when they have nothing else to say, maybe, you know, or they would stop writing because they haven't achieved a level where they thought they would be, maybe. I'm giving up. You know, I'm not, I didn't sell an A-list script. I'm going to go sell carpets, you know, carpet cleaning, something, whatever job it is. Um, you would hope that a writer would, you know, <laughs> would stay in the game and just because we got, you know, like an officer and gentleman, I got nowhere else to go. You know, I got nothing else I want to do. You know, I, I, I need to tell stories. I'm a storyteller, you know, and it's tragic when you hear people writers you know give up and I understand because um, everybody has their limits and they you know it's like it's uh, and you know it could be not giving up let's say pursuing it full-time but maybe dabbling on the side and then that takes longer and sure life can get in the way and then you know it's it, it falls along the wayside and maybe wasn't as interesting of a pursuit as the writer thought it was you know, and, and because it went up against that test, you know, the difficulty test. And, you know, that's always, like I say, how badly do you want it? Rejection, criticism, failure. That's usually the litmus test of how bad you want to be in this, you know, because we're all going to experience in that even after you make it, you start working, you're going to be fired, you know, and stuff. Um, so, yeah, they're all fear too. Maybe I'll never you know, achieve what I thought I would, you know, but I say the longer you're in it, that kind of changes too, just by its nature of being in this, you know, at least for me, how you look at things, you know. So it could be a number of reasons why someone quits, you know, but I always, it's always a sad day for me to hear that going, ah, oh, one of our, you know, brethren or sisters stopped, you know, they, they you know, Maybe it would just be around that next corner. You know, maybe it's that next script, but that's also the chasing the dragon, you know, like, well, not this one, and we all have to. Maybe it's the next one. Maybe it's the one after that. And then, you know what I mean? So everybody has to have their own uh, self-reflection about, you know, how long you're gonna give this. If, you know, I like I say, I never put an expiration date on my screenwriting dreams. So I didn't say, well, by this date, I have to have, you know, and uh, thank goodness stuff worked out a bit, you know. But I don't know if I was doing it for 10, 15 years and there was no forward movement, what I would think about it, you know. So I think it's a personal thing everyone has to, every writer has to ask themselves. So when you started writing, you had one mindset for it and now you've gone into something that's just maybe a little more relaxed. Realistic. or re Okay, realistic, okay. Yeah. Not relaxed about the work, by the way, but just no. about about certain goals and, and in terms of yeah, sure. it has to be, you know, I have to be here by this point kind of thing. Yeah. Or what you want to do. Don't you want to direct? It's like, mm. you know, I'd rather produce and write, you know, directing. I, 
there's a lot of directors, you know, and, and having done it in film school, yeah, but I have no project to show someone. It's like, oh, you're, you're the one over this person. In fact, I would probably, um, on a project, step aside and let a director who I would pick direct the movie. That's more of a producer's thing, you know. Um, so I don't know, it, it changes, you know, out of film school, I kind of always wanted to be a writer. But then the longer you're in the business, you go, hmm, writers get kicked around a lot, stuff gets changed a lot, and you're always at the mercy of someone else hiring you. But if you're a producer writer, or you move into producing where you say, this is my project, you don't get it. I'm gonna put the elements together, you know, and I, now I'm a producer, you know, type of thing. So things can change. Since our last interview, which was 2017, I believe around the holidays, yeah. 2017, have you changed your mind about any of the writing process? Maybe you were in one camp where you said, I'm not gonna do it this way, or I only do it this way, and then now, several years later, you've changed where you've loosened up on that, or you've completely, any, anything about the writing process that has changed for you, where you were very dogmatic about something and then um, I don't know, I think the dogma is still there. <laughs> but I think the process of being, uh, I, I wanted to get back to more, like I can remember the days when ideas would just pop up, you know, and this and that. And uh, I would find an idea that I would be so passionate about that I would see it, ah, you know. And, you know, when you're working on assignments, it's kind of different. I mean, you have to do that, but it's, it's, you know, I, I like, uh, I, what I'm trying to say is I want to get back into more of that spec stuff for me. If it sells or not, whatever, you know, I've got um, other spec uh, ideas that I, if, are pretty decent shape. They've been, you know, I pitched them and they've been around and stuff, but um, to maybe take one and, and expand it into something else instead of a TV pilot, make it a feature or maybe write a book of it, you know, type of thing. So I'm... One thing I would say is to, I'm opening my mind more to different creative possibilities than just the, the straight and narrow type. Um, so yeah, in that way. But so, the way that, the way that um, I work, no. You know, I, I'm open to suggestion, but so far, you know, um, it seems to work, you know, for what I'm doing, so yeah. But I'm always open to, you know, you always have to be, you know, like uh, water flows, you know, so it's like. <laughs> Is that part of the Tai Chi? You think either the Tai Chi changed that or you already changed and then you wanted to do the Tai Chi because it's kind of about the flow of energy and different things? Yeah, I think um, that's going to help me more on this next plateau, you know, in, in, in studying the certain philosophies to try to, um, uh, you know, have them dictate toward writing in a way, you know, trying to make them sort of similar where, or it's life, you know, I mean, these kind of philosophies are for life too as well, you know, discipline, right, you know, patience, things like that. And with Tai Chi, it's not if you hit back, it's you shift your energy? Yeah, it's, it's, it, you're always, you're always, it's a flow, you know what I mean? So it's um, trying to flow through life, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> And, uh, you know, when you come up against these hurdles with screenwriting, 
um, not to take them as the end all be all, your life's over type of thing. You know, and I say that for beginning riders as well, you know, especially because you're going to hit, hit a lot of knocks that you're going to want to give up. You're going to say, well, I'm not, I'm not selling anything and, and nobody's reading my stuff or how do I get to do that? And you find a way. You find, you find that one move that works, you know, but. Yeah, I saw a documentary uh, came out, I think 2019, about Miles Davis's career. And he reinvented himself so many times. Yes. Yeah. And there were times when he wanted to give up or sure. different things happen with his health. But yeah, he was always kind of reinventing himself. Because you have, you know, he spanned so much time that he you can't keep doing the stuff back, you know, that you were doing in the sixties. You know, you have to evolve and, and change, you know. And so um, yeah, I believe in that too. You have to as you grow as a person. You know, so too you have to grow as a screenwriter. You know what I mean? And uh, it's storytelling. So, right. So he would infuse different things. I think he did like sort of a, he had a more Latin percussion phase yeah, yeah. that he, yeah. he put into his music and different things with different costumes, different sure. looks, and it really helped keep this career going. Yeah, and, and it keeps you fresh. That's the key. You know, um, and uh, you don't look at it as like. Ugh this thing, you know, that I have to do. You come back to it from that 11-year-old kid that was like, oh, this thing that I love to do, that I'm blessed to do, that I'm blessed to get paid to do. You know, I was blessed to do it anyway, but get paid is even better, you know, because, so, yeah.